Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, we all ready to do this? Yes. Sure. Does, do you pronounce his name Sidney Lumet? Lumet. Lumet. Yeah, Lumet. I had to look that up. And John Cazal. Oh, really? It's Cazal? I always said Cazale. Yeah, Cazal. Cazal. Well, I always okay. said Cazali or something. <laughs> I, I pronounced everyone's name as the most fancy version of it. So you just anticipated it's going to be Jean. <laughs> yeah, Jean Cazale. And when you say Target, you say Target. Oh, yeah, of course. Because I'm my dad. <laughs> all righty, let's get doggy style. Dog day afternoon A couple desperate buffoons Try to rob a bank It made sensational news And swept the world away Chinos on a hot streak with films the world adores. Three time Oscar nominee, he's about to make it Today we're gonna talk a gritty true life tale With Chris Sarandon, Charles Durning, and John Cazale It could be the director, Sidney Lumet's best But we'll decide today on Cinema Possessed We're talking Dog Day Afternoon
wonderful journey. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to the Cinema Possessed Podcast. My name is Jack Bishop, and with me, as always, is the Sal to my Sonny, the John Cazale of this podcast, <laughs> Corey Clifford. If we were to rob a bank, uh -huh. you would absolutely be the one to lean over and say, I'm ready to throw bodies out the door. <laughs> See, I think I would be the Al Pacino. Are you kidding me? Yeah. There's been many times in our life. Oh, that yes. When I'm like, you've I'll, been like, I'll would you bury everyone? a body with me? And, and I'm the one who's like, I don't know if I could. I know. Isn't that fucked up? He wouldn't do it? No, he was like, it, he said no. He was like, no, I wouldn't. Look, can't just leave her hanging. <laughs> Thank you. Know? I you. Mean, come on. But I got, <laughs> it's like, I just don't know if that's the right plan. It is the right plan. Or I'm going away forever. Well, you're going to bury the body, but you don't say how it becomes a body in the first place. That's like, true. We just found situation? it. Oh, you just, we just found, found, found it? it and we buried and it out of no, no, I think no, I would no, call no. the police at that point. Yes, if we just found it, we're calling the police. No, I've murdered somebody. Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> they deserved it. I guess I'm the Stevie of the podcast. The Stevie? The third guy who bails at the very beginning of the movie. Yeah, you are him. You are him. Uh, and each week we take a close look at one film in our combined DVD and Blu-ray collections and discuss what it was about it that originally possessed us to want to possess it. We'll debate whether or not the film still holds that power over us today, and in the end, we'll decide once and for all if it deserves to keep its place on the shelf or be sent off to Wyoming in a stretch car driven by Lance Hendrickson. What is Lance Hendrickson from again? Oh, many things. I know. Aliens. Uh, Pumpkinhead. Pumpkinhead. He's the dad. Loses his shit. Pumpkinhead is a he... blank spot for me. <laughs> <laughs> He's in the first Terminator. He's okay. one of the police officers. Uh -huh. You don't remember him in Aliens? He's the robot. Bishop, yeah. he like vomits milk and stuff. I yeah. know. I just feel like there's something specific. That I mean, I'm... he's in like tons of shit. He's got one of those faces that is super memorable, but yeah. he's kind of in everything. Yeah. So he kind of yeah he pops up here or there. I think that must be what it is. Or did you have like a headshot of him or something? No. You have a poster of Lance Hendrickson <laughs> yeah. on your wall. <laughs> of course, yeah, my wallet. <laughs> a headshot of him. There we go around. I don't know. It'll come to me. It'll come to me. Well, speaking of. Memorable faces. Today we are stoked <laughs> to be joined by a filmmaker whose work spans many genres in TV and film. He is a co-writer and director of two features, The Age of Reason and Fever Night. He's worked for years in the comedy world for places like Channel 101, Funny or Die, Adult Swim, and most recently as a writer for the Cartoon Network animated series Tig and Seek. He is a fellow movie freak. He's yes. a longtime <laughs> AMC Stubbs bud. Oh, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Jordan Harris. Thank you. Yeah. Welcome to the Cinema Thank Possessed Thank you for studio. being here. I'm excited to be here. I've been listening since, well, almost the beginning. Yeah, you're because an I, you, early you adopter. Yeah, you secretly started this. Yes. First. I had no idea. And, and <laughs> then Justin started talking about like the pod, the pod. And I was like, what is he talking about? <laughs> I think it was like a couple weeks later when I'm like, yeah. oh, they have a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> But since then, I'm but I think we were only week. like maybe four episodes in at that point. Like yeah. we, we were pretty early days. Yeah. Oh yeah, you're De a devoted, definitely a, devoted you're a true listener. friend. Oh, yeah. A true I've friend supporter. I love it. I, I appreciate it. Buddy. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. The the only uh, bad thing about it is that I'm not going to have 
an episode to listen to. Do you, you know want to, to listen to your own voice? Nah, I can't, I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Maybe I want to revisit this moment forever and yeah, ever, you know. over and over. Yeah. Uh, we've watched a ton of movies together. True. And um, you have like an affinity for weird movies and odd, strange things that nobody's ever heard of. You've introduced me to a lot of films. You have a really great plex. Yeah, yeah. I, I do. I like collecting strange movies. Anytime there's a movie that I haven't heard of, yeah. you know, I'll just try to seek it out and, and throw it on there. For those who don't know what plex is, it's just sort of like a online storage thing that you can pull up and stream movies. I'm sure you can probably do music on there too. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But it's mostly for movies stuff. and stuff. Yeah. And like yours is just filled with stuff that a lot of stuff I think is probably not even available on DVD. It's a lot of like VHS stuff like that. Yeah, and that's why I kind of keep it is because there's a lot of a lot of ones that you can't stream or were never released on DVD or, yeah. you know, the, for some reason the DVD is out of print. So it's mm -hmm. like... 50 bucks and I'm like I'm not going to spend $50 for like right. Alien Private Eye or something <laughs> <Yeah>. like that. <laughs> There's a lot of Wings Hauser on that plex. Oh yeah, yeah. I definitely had a moment with Wings Hauser. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes great. I'll just pull it cuz you you at one point gave me the login code. Uh -huh. So I have it and I'll just like when I'm looking for something to watch I'll like, oh, let's just see what's new on Jordan's Plex. <laughs> well, let, let me know if you find something good cuz I have not watched Yeah, all you haven't watched everything on stuff there. on there. Do you have any physical media of your own? I do, you know, I used to collect a lot of VHS mm -hmm. uh, for a long time, kind of before, I guess it was something desirable because it was like 25 cents in the same way that, that I sort of treat the Plex. Mm -hmm. It was just, you know, the idea that there's so many movies out there that I don't really want to invest a lot in, but I'm interested yeah. in yeah. just because it has a crazy cover or I don't know, an actor I like, like Wings or something. Yeah. <laughs> <But> <laughs> so I, I just like basically hoarded them from thrift stores for a long time. Yeah. But then I had to get rid of them. I moved to Texas for a little bit and I was like, I can't carry 300 plus VHS That's with me. That's the problem. Yeah. Shit gets heavy. Oh, and yeah. And like when you, when you move and we've moved. Absurd amount absurd, of time. Every <laughs> three years we move a place and every three years I got to reckon with this collection that I have. Yeah. And that was part of the impetus of the podcast was like, we can, we can probably shed some, some of these movies by revisiting them and maybe we're not as attached to them anymore. I don't anymore. think we've shed but one. <laughs> a few. There's been a few, but yeah, for well, the most part. in the right place. Yeah. Know? What I'm learning is that there's a reason why I bought these movies in the first place. I do love most of them. Yeah. Uh, which was also a thing we had to reckon with when we started the podcast, we were like, are we too, do we just like too many of these movies? Should we find, try to do ones that we don't like? That, well, that's the thing about this movie in particular. I'm like, I'm, I just like it so much yeah. that I'm I just, we're just going to go through every scene and we're going to be like, yeah, it's great. Hey, I mean, that's just what the podcast has become. It's essentially just become a movie appreciation. Yeah. Although we you, try you to you get our some theories. hot takes there yeah. with Princess Bride. Oh, yeah. oh that's oh, true. Like, that that's true. Disconcerting. Truthfully. You question the friendship. <laughs> One of the most beloved movies uh, i mean i've been in that situation a lot you yeah know, like i understand where you're coming from so I, I like to hear all perspectives well speaking of Corey, do you want to let the people know what movie we are talking about today today we are talking about Sidney lumet's 1975 dog day afternoon you know something people you're going to be remembered the rest of your lives for the day you got held up and kidnapped at approximately 3 p.m on august 22nd 1972 sonny wurzik and sal naturale entered the first Brooklyn Savings Bank and attempted a robbery. Nobody move. Get over there. The attempt failed. There's no money here. It's for you. What? The police arrived. This is Detective Sergeant Eugene Moretti. What are you doing in there? For the people of the neighborhood, it was a sideshow. 
but for Sonny and Sal, the hostages and the cops. It was a dog day afternoon. It's all a whim. Rob a bank. I had a plan. I had a plan. WNEW plays all the hits. Will you keep away from this bank or we're going to start throwing bodies out the front door one at a time? How about letting the people out of the bank? I dare keep me alive. I'm going to let him out. Sir, can you tell me what the situation is? All right, who, who has to go to the bathroom? It's just a freak show to them anyway. But he wants to kill me so bad he can taste it. We're entertainment, right? What do you, what do you, what do you got for us? Helicopter! I ain't going back to that prison, Sonny. I'm here with my partner and nine other people. See, we're dying. <laughs> Stand you being a bank robber, Sonny. Well, I'm, talk, I'm trying to talk to you. Mom, what are you doing down God. here? One. We get a helicopter here. Two. Takes us to a jet. Three. Don't do Al Pacino. Dog Day Afternoon. A true story. Controversial opinion? Al Pacino's fucking great. That's a controversy. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Maybe one of our greatest? I don't know. I, like, he I truly? Think this is the best performance I've ever seen in the, in this movie for, for me. The thing about Al Pacino is every time I watch one of his performances, I think, I th- is this the best performance he's, he's ever so given? He's so good in like... That just sounds so dumb to say. Like, Al Pacino's so good. Like, kind of like what you said. But it is like truly mind-blowing i will say i still think he's fucking great oh yeah like he's, he's, the, irishman, the irishman he's so good he is the yeah. best part of that movie he's so funny in once upon a time in hollywood that's true like he's still fucking got it i mean him and de niro are really like yeah in the question of are you a de niro or a pacino person I used to be a De Niro person. Me too. I grew yeah. up a De Niro person. But then I, you watch a De Niro movie, you watch Cape Fear, and we're like, he's the best oh, actor and, that they've ever been. No like, you know, there's, like, there's a reason why these two guys are pitted head to head against And the fact that they're both the age that they are, and unfortunately still having children, but that's for another <laughs> podcast. But I the guess age they should be proud. They, they the should age be that proud. they are and still working and like seem to like really love the craft oh, yeah. they're true is very actors. inspiring but yeah i mean i think probably for the last 10 years i've been a pacino guy i think i've really come around to thinking he has such versatility the fact that like there are ex- polar opposite performances that come from him from one movie to another and yes we've pointed out that robert de niro is capable of doing that with stuff like cape fear but he actually doesn't do it that often Oh, Whereas, have you seen The Intern? Okay, he's very sweet, lovable. I have that movie, seen very. That movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that, that was his sort of like, uh, you know, nice nice guy uh-huh, thing. Uh-huh. Yeah, Pacino's just a little bit more of a chameleon in that kind of way, or I don't, chameleon's the wrong. I'm, I'm still kind of discovering a lot of his work. Like I've seen, you know, the, the major ones, yeah. but there's still, I have blind spots. Like I still haven't seen Scent of a Woman and stuff. You but gotta see it. This movie so sort good. of reignited, you know, the yeah. Pacino train for me that's why i saw a sea of love because that that one popped up mm-hmm. um he's great in a movie called scarecrow with him that. and gene hackman it's like a two-hander fucking dick tracy you know yeah. big boy that's caprice a, that's another one that i really want to revisit because as a kid i remember loving it mm-hmm. and i had like all this dick tracy stuff so like jack i was <laughs> cologne i had dick tracy Whoa. cologne for some reason it was a it was like a christmas i would have loved sure. it i would i had the hat like, and i desperately yeah. wanted the watch because there was uh-huh. like a toy watch that you could talk into never yeah. had it but i i haven't watched it since i was probably like 
I don't know, five or six or whatever, whenever it came out. Yeah. So I definitely want to revisit that. It gets a bad rap. I think it's fucking great. It's Warren Beatty directed Warren that Beatty movie? directed it, yeah. That's mm-hmm. insane. From <laughs> Reds to Dick Tracy. <laughs> and it's a comic book movie coming off the heels of Batman. Uh-huh. The first Batman movie truly does look like a comic book too. Yeah. Like the style and the makeup and the costumes. Like I think it's glorious. I got it on Blu-ray. It's fucking great. It's going to the top of my <laughs> list now. His voice in this movie I love so much. That little affectation. Yeah. Yes, it's like, like, what is it? Like, I'm not I, even sure. It's like a New York lisp or yes, something. Yes, kind not of, a lisp, yeah. but like a little bit of an impediment or yeah. something. And that's a fun thing about Al Pacino is he has like stages of his voice in his career. But yeah. I feel like he has such a specific voice in almost all of his movies. Very, like, no yeah. matter what, mm-hmm. it usually always has. And this is like the first movie I feel like I've ever seen of his that it's ne- it doesn't ever go into the Al Pacino voice. Well, he's, I yeah. think he's completely putting on yeah, something. Sure. I mean, like, there's a lot of theories about why his voice has shifted so much over the years because, yeah, this voice compared to Scarface, mm-hmm. which obviously that's an accent that he's putting on, but then compared to Sea of Love and Scent of a Woman like and where he's at now. But I feel like even Scarface to, like, Al Pacino now, you still hear the, like, da 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 that he does. Yeah. 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 But he doesn't there. do that in this at all. No. No, it's very, very unique. Also, well, what should... genre would you say this movie is? Because usually I say that yeah. in the introduction. Yeah. Because IMDb will usually like put the thing of yeah, like, yeah. oh, but they don't have one for this movie. Yeah, what would this movie, weird. what genre would this be? I mean, I think it's a drama kind mm-hmm. of masquerading as like an action yeah, suspense it's like a film or something, or something like that. Yeah. Like it could be presented like that. Yeah. But when you get into... The the film, you know, the bank robbery section is like very small. Right. Yeah. And it's really just a character piece the whole time. Yeah. I think a character piece, I feel like, yeah. is how I would describe it the most. I have this very old DVD. It's one of those Warner Brothers snap snapper case DVDs. Mm-hmm. Literally no special features on it whatsoever. The word comedy is written all over the box. <laughs> Bitingly funny. I could see that. I mean, you at know, the beginning, like, especially like when the bank robbery is failing, it yeah. is really funny. A ton of funny moments in this yeah. movie, but as a whole, I don't think I would, th- I don't think of this movie as a comedy. Well, there's, there's a lot of lines too that could have been comedy, you know, could yeah. have been read as comedy uh-huh. if you just had the script or in, mm-hmm. in another actor's or director's hands. But because it's played so real, like every moment has truth in it. Yeah. It, it makes it more human yeah. than funny, you know? For sure. And with the way the movie ends, it ends in a kind of a gut punchy way that mm. like you, you don't come out of it being like laugh right. Well, the, Very especially <laughs> the last yeah. half hour, I feel like is like. Stark. It hurts. The movie like, sort I was, of really- I, like the last half hour, I was like. We gotta wrap this up. This is hurting. <laughs> the me movie now. really like, reveals it's so itself bad. in the third yeah. act. It kind of switches tones uh-huh. quite a bit, and yeah, leaves you on a very sort of a sad mm-hmm. feeling. And I looked up some like reviews at the time too, and like the the first thing everybody mentions is how funny the movie is. Well, I think maybe it it was more of a novelty in a way, just the idea of the media circus of it all, mm-hmm. and you know him seeing himself on TV. All that stuff was probably a little fresher and, True, and like, yeah. felt a little funnier at the time or like the satire was more biting at the time. And this is based on a real event that only mm-hmm. happened three years earlier. This movie came out yeah. in 75. The actual thing happened in 72. So it would be as if a movie came out this year about like the January 6th insurrection. We would probably <laughs> think a lot of it was funny because we are so close to it and it was such a, a circus yep. that we associate 
humor with it. And I think that is the way people were looking at well, and this he specific became stories. such like a sort of celebrity too because mm-hmm. of yes, that. Yeah. he kind of made himself one. Yeah, there's a documentary uh, on him, and I, I it was on Tubi. I watched it. Same. Uh, yeah, yeah, you checked it out. The yeah. dog. Yeah. Weird guy, yes. <laughs> like very a lot of personality, mm-hmm. uh, complex character, very not not almost ex- more complex than what's in this movie. Definitely, because <laughs> there's a real life there. The, 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 For yeah, sure, different shades of lightness and darkness i suppose that that wouldn't be fit for yes. the film what was so funny is that he's like a self-proclaimed pervert <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like seems to be driven by this hedonistic urge to just like fuck everybody yeah and so like he's like a sex addict a se- he's basically a sex addict it sort of tracks how like this bank robbery was kind of just one of a million things that this guy did throughout his life mm-hmm. that was like weird and over the top and was in some sort of pursuit of what he called love and i think what what it is love to him you know i definitely got the feeling that like he loves a lot of people and would do crazy things he seemed like a dangerous guy yeah kind of a messy (laughs) person you know like just like a a total tornado of a person total and you get little hints of that in the movie you know when when it's revealed that he has a male wife named leon chris arandon is saying multiple times like i'm scared of him i don't want to go near him he scares me but for the most part al pacino plays this guy pretty sympathetically and not extremely over the top. Well, that's also the movie too, though. It's like the first half of the movie is really setting up that like he's not going to hurt anybody. Like I was very scared that Sal was going to like murder a bunch of people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, He is more set up as like the live wire. Yes, exactly. And so, and then it's like, you know, seeing him with the women in the office, they're Mm -hmm. like all laughing Mm -hmm. and, you know, everybody's like, seemingly having as good of a time as they can in this situation. Which is seen from the documentary, that's true. Like yeah. they did yeah. kind of start to get along with everybody in there and he was nice to but all But I think the that's why there's like a twist. It feels like a character twist in the movie to suddenly be like, when we're hearing from both of his wives being like, oh yeah, he's beaten me yeah. and yeah. is threatened to kill me. You're like, oh wait, what? Which very much was also the case in the real thing. Like yeah. he, he was a, a sort of a violent guy. He seemed to like, love hard and well and she she says that um you know his transgender wife leon like he says that sunny had been sending letters every day for like 30 days saying you're gonna die in 30 days yeah you have 30 days to live you have 20 days to like basically these death threats until she um you know committed or attempted suicide and that's why she was she ended up in the hospital wow and he was very the real guy was actually very against the gender reassignment surgery because Mm -hmm. he liked that she had a penis and like didn't want her to get the reassignment surgery and there was question in the documentary about like whether that really was his motive for robbing well, this she, bank. She didn't believe it. Yeah. And and it's sort of in the movie, there's a question of what his motive is too. They don't make it clear. Like they kind of state the, you know, gender reassignment surgery and stuff like that yeah. as being the, the motivation, but it doesn't really come from him. Yeah. You know, and when he starts talking about why he did it, it's sort of like, there's so much pressure on me, like everything, you know, everyone wants something and mm-hmm. like, you know, everyone needs something. And he's trying to like, like he is in the whole movie. He's trying to just keep together this like crazy yeah. world he's mm-hmm. created for himself. That was one of the most moving things I thought about the movie. There's a scene where he has to make a will. 
And he kind yeah. of goes through what he's going to leave everybody. And he leaves a little something to everybody in his life, his male wife, his female wife, his children. And yeah, you really get the sense that like, this is a guy that feels responsibility for like a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I, I got that a little bit from the documentary too. He also just seemed like a crazy kind of guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and what's the funniest thing too about the documentary is that he went to jail for this. Didn't actually spend that much time in jail. Like good behavior and a few things got him out pretty quickly. He was out before the 70s were over. Mm-hmm. He went to jail in like 72. I think he was out by maybe 77, 78. Yeah. Um, and then fully embraced this new celebrity of the guy who tried to rob the bank. And he yeah. started calling himself the dog. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the funny thing was he was like, it was really hard getting jobs. And they, they asked him what type of jobs he was trying to get. He was trying to be security at banks. Yeah. And his cell was like, no one, no one's going to try to rob the bank when I'm around. Like, I know what's going on, you know? No one's going to go up against the dog. Or he wanted to do bookkeeping and like handle people's money. It's like, oh nobody's going to If that would have happened today, he would for sure just be like a reality television star. Yeah. Like, and this definitely has the beginnings of reality yeah, television. Yeah. It's crazy how relevant this movie still is. Like, I could absolutely see see this exact scenario happening Mm -hmm. today and people reacting this exact same way and watching the documentary. Yeah, he became in the 70s, he basically became an influencer from this situation where he did become a celebrity for being a criminal, which was very complicated, it seemed, for the uh, the hostages who once they interview in the documentary are like, this is fucked up like this guy committed a huge crime and put us all through incredible trauma and he's getting paid for it now well and he was standing outside the bank like every day (laughs) signing autographs with a t-shirt that said I robbed this bank trying to get money or whatever for photos or something like Hollywood Boulevard stuff the dog was great I found it to be a very fascinating watch if you want to know more Go watch the dog. I watched the dog on on Tubi. I just want to give it up for Tubi. <laughs> like we don't give a lot of love to streamers on this because we're a physical media podcast. Tubi, I think, has the best selection of movies of yeah. any of the streamers. It feels like you're in a video store. Now, Tubi has commercials. I don't even see that as a downside, to be honest, because it also <laughs> sort of brings me back to like watching movies on cable. Like Certain kinds 90s. of kinds of movies I'm okay with yeah, having. Some it's honestly never. With, I know yeah. when I'm going into a Tubi watch yeah. that I'm going to be watching some commercials every now and then. You know, everybody has the issue of fighting with their phone when they're watching a movie this day and age, where it's like, yeah, you, you have a thought like, oh, what what's what's Attica? I gotta look yeah, up. Exactly. I gotta look it up. <laughs> a text message comes through. You look at it, then all of a sudden you're fucking on Instagram, and you're like, fuck, I'm watching a movie right yeah. now. Yeah. So what I do when I watch Tubi is I literally put my phone in the crack of the couch (laughs) and the rule is when the commercial break happens that's when I pick up my phone and check it but when the movie comes back on it goes back in the crack of the couch 10-15 minutes I'm gonna get to look at my phone again it's the crack system (laughs) it's the crack system (laughs) was this movie like well you said he got nominated for an Oscar yeah yeah this movie was nominated I think for six or seven Oscars he got nominated as best actor the movie got nominated best film it won best screenplay Frank Pearson wrote the screenplay this is the year that Jaws was nominated for Best Picture. Stiff competition. Yeah. There's a great video. Uh, I was just telling you about this, yeah. Corey, of Steven Spielberg. You know, Jaws was the biggest fucking hit of the year. <laughs> yeah. And so it, he like, created the blockbuster. Created basically. the blockbuster. The awards started the morning of the Oscar nominations announcements. He's certain Jaws is going to get nominated for everything. Best Picture, Best Director, Best Screenplay, all this stuff. It was nominated for everything except for Best Director. And he's got a full camera crew around him. 
He's got all his friends oh, around him. It's the Barbie him. of 1975. <laughs> it is. I, yeah. That's what made me it's think of it. Her. I was like, Greta Gerwig prob- for sure thought she was going to get the Oscar nomination for Best Director this year. And the yeah. fact that she didn't probably was a real gut punch to her. And it made me think of this year when Spielberg was like, there's no fucking way I'm not getting nominated for Best Director. Well, especially looking at that film, I mean, the direction stands out. Yeah, it's kind of strongest. You know, it's it's a film it's a that could could have been just a schlocky B movie about yeah. a killer shark or whatever. Yeah. Like it sounds pretty dumb, you know, on its yeah. face, but like he elevated it into a different realm. And he's mad. <laughs> you can tell if listeners should go look up this video on YouTube, you could find it. It's funny because it's so awkward because he's so confident. He's talking to the camera beforehand, and then oh, you see so him watching awkward. it, and he's like. They didn't say my name. Everybody behind <laughs> no. him was like, what the fuck? What? This is a travesty. Jaws was the biggest movie of the year. And he's just like, I don't even know what to say. It feels very real. It's humanizing to somebody who is like pretty, you know, godlike in the yeah, film world. Sure. It's a very interesting thing to watch. This was Al Pacino's fourth time. Who won that year? I know. Do, I'm looking at this. I'm trying year to. Because I can't imagine a better performance. I mean, I don't know. It must have been something great. But like, yeah. I, it, this is one of my favorite performances of all time. It may have been Jack I, Nicholson. I think it. For Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, 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 oh. I thought you meant director. Jack Nicholson won for One Flew Over the Jack Cuckoo's Nicholson Cuckoo's won yeah. for Best Actor. I guess that is kind of a popular. It was a really stiff you know. competition. I mean, this is one of the greatest Oscar years there ever was in terms yeah. of the the movies and the people I mean, that Cuckoo's were nominated. Cuckoo's Nest is iconic, so yeah. it's like hard to get past You can't that. really argue with it. And the real sort of like hidden secret MVP of this is John Cazale. Or as you said, his name is pronounced Cazal. That's what they said in the commentary. John Cazal. He played Sal. He played Sal. He only made five movies before he died of cancer. He was a friend of Pacino's from the theater. Pacino was the one who brought him into movies. His first movie was The Godfather, which got nominated and won the Academy Award for Best Picture. He did Francis Ford Coppola's The Conversation, mm-hmm. which also got nominated for Best Amazing Picture. Amazing film, yeah. He did The Godfather 2, nominated, won Best Picture. He did Dog Day Afternoon, nominated for Best Picture, and then he did The Deer Hunter, nominated and won. Damn, for Best Picture. Secret Sauce. So all five of the movies he was in got nominated for Best Picture, and three of the five won Best Picture. Uh, that's and sad. then unfortunately died. Dating oh. Meryl Streep yes. at the time. Damn, yeah. Yeah. okay. Power yeah, it's really sad. It is sad, but it's also epic. You it's, know what I mean? Like, yeah, amazing. It's sad that we didn't get more movies out of him and that he died tragically, but what a fucking... You know, he left his mark in the biggest, most perfect way yeah. you could. Every movie he was in, you know, is like top tier status of cinema history. Yeah, he kind of, he's one of those actors that feels like totally um, immortalized in film. Completely. Yeah. You know, when he's there, it's like, almost like he didn't exist, just those characters. He's a weird looking guy. He's very tall. He's like sort of skeletal looking. He has like a hairline that goes to like the middle of his head. Yeah, and he's an unflattering um, hair style. Yeah. Too. <laughs> On paper, this guy is like kind of creepy, but every role he does, including this role, which is, you know, he is an intimidating presence and a little bit of a dangerous presence, but he also is brings such like sympathy to the character. Yeah. He's and, got a sadness to him, just like totally. a heaviness yeah. to him just doing anything, like just walking around or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's why he can take some of those lines that are really funny or a character that's kind of 
almost got that like Coen Brothers dumb. Yes, dumbness. yes, yeah, yeah. absolutely. But he, he, when he does it, it feels so real and so kind of like tragic. I was very scared of him at the beginning of the movie, and then I was just scared for him. Oh yeah, the rest yeah. Of the movie. By the end of the movie, you're like you, you've sort of fallen in love with this guy, and you're like, ah, oh, this is so. Sad. I can they just see this guy's God, I know. future. Um, I listened to the commentary too. I, I actually, so I, I watched the film um, streaming mm-hmm. in high def. Because I don't want to watch a DVD, but I did get the DVD from uh, the library so nice. I could listen to the commentary with uh, Sidney Lumet. Mm-hmm. I listened to it too, cool. but I just watched it on YouTube. Oh, they had the, the whole thing on there? Yeah, you can usually find commentaries on YouTube. They that's just like cool. cut out the sounds of the movies when mm-hmm. they're not talking, but I think that's how they can like get away with it. Yeah, I got to start doing that because ever since you started this podcast, it made me realize like I never really listened to commentaries. Mm-hmm. And I missed out on on it. You know, there's so much in there that's interesting, like little nuggets or like just hearing the perspective of the filmmakers. Yeah. Like, I I don't know. So I, I wanted to do that for this one. So I got the DVD and checked it out. And um, it's just interesting how real he wanted to make mm-hmm. everything. You know, there's there's no um, like non-diegetic music. There's just music at the beginning. And he sort of yeah. says like, oh, it's playing out of the car and stuff like that. But otherwise, there's no music. And it just creates this reality where like all of the tension and everything has to come from the performances, Yeah, you know, there's not like a lot of fancy editing. There's not, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of like over the top style, especially for like a robbery film, Yeah, you know, it almost plays more, more like a stage play or something like that. Yeah, because you just get dropped right into the movie. There's really yeah. no setup for anything yeah. like the first scene within the first five minutes of this movie, they're robbing the bank. There's there's no real first act. And mm-hmm. I think it's it's kind of amazing because they withhold everything about the main characters. Mm-hmm. Like usually a film's going to want to come in there and be like, no, here's everything you need to know about the character. Mm-hmm. This is what they need to change about themselves. This is like why you should care about yeah. them. Yeah. And this one, it's like total, like they're anonymous and they just walk into the movie mm-hmm. and it's you finding like, you know, peeling away you at learn different everything layers. Through the well, action. I kind of kept, because yeah. this was the first time I've ever seen this movie. And so I, I mean, I guess maybe I'd seen clips of it or, scenes or whatever but the first time i fully watched it and it's funny that you say that because the whole first scene i kept thinking like okay this is like the bank robbery that's gonna go right and Mm -hmm. then we're gonna see them like fuck up like i kept waiting for it to cut to like the next scene or something and then not until like 30 minutes in the movie i was like oh i guess this is just it yeah yeah because most movies it would be like well here's why they need to yes exactly rob the bank and then shows how good they are at this yeah you know like and and plan and whatever exactly watching it too i was sort of like thinking about so many movies are clearly influenced by this movie you know you have stuff like inside man John Q. Uncut Gems, I think, like big mm-hmm. time. Oh, good time. You oh, know, yeah, good, good time, time really also, reminded yeah. me of it too. The way that kind of drops you into like a robbery and then yeah. it's not all in yeah. one place, but it's sort of a similar format for well, for the movie. And it's sort of, the, those two movies are really about a character trying to keep this situation together. Like everything's against them at all times. It's kind of chaos mm-hmm. and they're trying to just navigate moment to moment. Yeah, it's kind of about, I want to call them idiots, but <laughs> fuck ups, you know, yeah, like yeah. they're definitely fuck ups. Yeah. They're, they're like, uh, you know, they get in their own way. Yeah. 
as much as possible. The movie that it reminded me the most of was Airheads. Have you seen oh, Airheads? Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I bet Airheads was like, they pitched it as the comedy version. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the whole time I was thinking, I was like, this must have been the, the, the blueprint for Airheads. They're like, yeah. we're just going to do the broad comedy version of Dog Day Afternoon. Yeah. We re- recently rewatched that movie. Yeah, and it doesn't quite hold up as no, much. Because I no, used to just fucking yeah. love that movie as a kid. Me, me too. The issue with it for me was that it's like a movie about metalheads and the movie feels so not metal at all like yeah, it, it feels dorky. like metal movie written by dorky white guys who actually who probably think metalheads are dumb or punkers uh-huh. are dumb you know yeah. so it didn't it, it felt like this movie would work really well if it was like written by people that actually kind of understand this culture it's so clear that it doesn't so that no it's like a, poppy well at yeah, the time a little that, bit of an snl was like looked down upon you know yeah. like like it was sort of past the prime of metal and it was like what are these ridiculous people doing kind yeah. of a thing i feel like if it was if the same movie was made now about metal heads you know set in the past mm-hmm. it would have more compassion towards totally. them rather than seeing them as like just yeah. idiots or which whatever. getting back to dog day afternoon was another surprising thing what rewatching it again is just how um sympathetic i don't think there had been many mainstream movies that dealt with transgendered people yeah i was looking into it and and there weren't that many but around this time there were a handful yeah coming out so it it probably was in the zeitgeist yeah consciousness there and like um yeah i i was trying to like compare it to stuff but i i haven't seen most of the movies that were listed aside from glenn or glenda Uh which then that's like really fringe low budget yeah yeah it's ed woods so it's it's basically like john waters or something Mm -hmm. outsider film but there were a few which i would like to go back and check out just to see how yeah that subject was treated at the time but but this one was like i think treats it really well like there's nothing about the depiction of it that doesn't feel authentic authentic and like surprisingly unproblematic because most of the time when you watch a 70s movie you're sort of like that didn't date very well well i think a lot of that is the actor yeah Mm -hmm. chris Chris sarandon sarandon like yeah played it so beautifully i thought and like real that it didn't feel like a character because i was nervous i was like oh god is this gonna be yeah i don't know you know very stereotypical or whatever and i really didn't think that he did they if if you watch like in that dog documentary they show the actual interviews and clips with, yeah. with leon and uh whose she, real name was ernie and then they became liz liz oh yeah that's right it, it seems like chris sarandon really watched those interviews yes. and like yeah. modeled you know the performance after them you know mm-hmm. rather than way more so than bacino did with the real guy yeah yeah, yeah. it's funny because uh sydney lumet says he never saw any pieces of film aside from i was surprised to hear that because you watch the movie and then you see the actual f- like footage like news, from footage. news and it looks the same shot for shot at times yeah so it's <laughs> yeah. like maybe he didn't watch it but, but i feel everybody like everyone else else. <laughs> yeah. the art director <laughs> the cinematographer and definitely all the actors yeah. were very well aware yeah. of who they were playing one of the interesting things in that in the commentary was he talked about how pacino he was really nervous about playing the the gay aspects of this character because big movie stars weren't doing that at the time. I think he was afraid of how people were going to react to it. Mm-hmm. And so he was really nervous. And apparently he dropped out of the movie a handful of times oh, because he was so nervous about the gay stuff. And he told a story in the commentary about 
Pacino showed up to set the first day and he had a mustache. Yeah. And he was like, I wasn't crazy about the mustache, but he was like, sometimes actors do things when they're nervous, like <laughs> grow a mustache or they want a wig. They want something to sort of shield them a little bit so that they can say, this isn't me. This is the character. And so Sidney Lumet was like, if it's going to get him there emotionally, I'll let him keep the mustache. They shot the first day with it. And then the next day they watched the dailies and Al Pacino was like, Mustache doesn't work, does it? And Lumet was like, I don't think so. And so they shaved it and they had to reshoot the first day. Whoa. I think that was part of the reason why his performance was so lauded was because people were like, this is really brave. Seeing it again, it I realized that like the, this performance from Pacino mm -hmm. specifically, like everyone's really good, but the Pacino performance feels unique in how vulnerable it is yeah. and how, how much he draws you in. There's a certain point where it gets more personal with him, yeah. you know, yeah. maybe a half an hour in where it's like, I am locked into this movie. And I, I watched it a few months ago and then I watched it with the commentary. And then I actually just watched it this morning. Cause I was like, Oh, might, might as well keep it fresh. Yeah. And when I watched it today, I was like, I don't know, like I've seen it a bunch recently, like, is it going to have the same effect? And it was the same point in time. I just like locked into the film. I care about the characters. I love the actor too, who plays the police chief. Charles Durning. Yes. Oh, he's so, so good. Because so you're also kind of rooting for him too. You're like, okay, he is Well, he just trying. plays him real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's trying to keep control of his guys who are, some of them are acting rogue, you know? Yeah. So they're oh, pulling their so guns they're not he's supposed like, to. Fire gun now, fire gun. What it's the like fuck chaos. are you doing? Put yeah. gun People are sneaking in from the back and he's not even aware of it. It's like, get on the roof, get on the roof. There's like people running from the crowd trying to be uh, heroes and the FBI is there breathing down his neck and like being like, why did you do this? Why did you do that? And he's like, look, I'm just trying to fucking deal with this shit. <laughs> yeah, the movie does a great job of like, there's not villains and heroes. It's mm -hmm. like, there's just human beings in the situation. That's Sidney Lumet across the board. Like, that's why I love Serpico. He makes a lot of movies about cops, yet they're never movies that are like focused on solving the crime they're right. always about like Morality. the human condition within that another great one from the 90s that i love so much with nick nolte q a it's I've a never great seen it. great movie about like corrupt police covering up crimes and like a you know the bad apple police officer and nick nolte plays a super he's the main character of the movie which is why the movie didn't do well because it's a classic movie about a bad guy where you, he is your protagonist and he is a piece of shit. <laughs> His performance is incredible. He's like fucking Frankenstein. He's huge <laughs> in the movie. But it's about that. It, you know, it's about like what creates this kind of a person and how do people deal with it? He's, a, he's one of my favorite directors of all time. His movie, he doesn't really have like a style. It's like whatever the story dictates is like what the style he will do for in it. In the commentary, he says... That to him, style is taking away everything the story doesn't need. So it's oh. like a reductive process. If yeah. there's something you don't need, like music or whatever, uh, you know, fast cut editing or take take it away. And you you see in Dog Day, like it doesn't feel like the production design sort of announces itself. Mm -hmm. Like there's nothing flashy in the film at all. It yeah. all just sort of feels real. Like they just found it there. Even right. Yeah, they, yeah. they built that set and everything. You know, it, it's not like color coordinated it's it's kind of ugly and yeah. boring mm -hmm. which is funny that it's the same year that cuckoo's nest came out because i feel like they have similar vibes yeah well it's also the 70s vibe yeah yeah this was like a, a but like kind of slower character study mm -hmm. 
was there a lot of music in Cuckoo's Nest? Like it, not a ton, but yeah, yeah, there, yeah, it, yeah. it had a score that would present itself every now and then. Like but this it, movie has no score, right? Yeah. Right. But it just felt like you're sitting in scenes yeah. for a long time in the same type of vibe, and maybe that is just a '70s vibe. And I think a, so. Yeah, that's another movie that feels like a play too. Yes, where it's, absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we're gonna dive deep into Dog Day Afternoon. We'll be right back. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to Cinema Possess, and we are talking 1975's Dog Day Afternoon. Is this our fourth Al Pacino movie? Maybe this is an wow. Al Pacino pod. What'd you do? Scarface? We've done, We've done Scarface, Scarface sea, of sea of Love, and this. Oh, so okay. this is our third. Well, this movie opens with a little title card, What You Were About to See is True. It happened in Brooklyn, New York on August 22nd, 1972. And we get a series of shots of New York at the time. It's got an Elton John song playing over it. Kind yeah. of a deep cut, too, Amarina, which is a song that yeah. I'd never heard other than this movie. Me too, yeah. I always forget that it's in this movie, and I've kind of been rocking it all week ever since I watched <laughs> it. I was cool like, song. this song's good. Lately, I've been thinking how much I miss my lady, Amarina. I love shit like this in movies because it really feels like a snapshot of a period, you know? Like, it feels like you're watching home video, and he said in the commentary that he just stole all these shots. New York was a scary time in the 70s, I feel. Not rom romantic like it has been portrayed later. Yeah, that. I see, new like, movie New York, there's, like, three versions of it to me. There's this version, which is also sort of like the taxi driver version, where it's, uh -huh. like, gritty, real. Then there's, like, the Woody Allen, Rob Reiner version of New York, which is sort of, like, the romantic Rob Reiner's side. a little bit yeah. further on, though. That's, like, in the 80s, when it felt like that's it was like a little the, the bit. like, the rom-com so. yes. But it's, like, yeah. the version of New York that's sort of, like, sweet and nice, yeah. and the kind you watch and you go, I want to go live Is that, there. like, Ghostbusters? Does that fit in there? So, Ghostbusters, to me, falls in between this category and my third category, which is the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles New York. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like the <laughs> jalo lit uh -huh. 
kind of heightened cartoonish New York that like I think Ghostbusters falls somewhere in between that and the Rob Reiner. Yeah, New York. I would say so. It's a sweeter version. I think After Hours is Ninja Turtles New York. Scorsese's yeah. After Hours like Nightmare New York. Yes, a little bit nightmare, <laughs> a little bit heightened reality. King of New York kind of falls into that category. I would say, well, Taxi Driver is like not far off from. I I feel like the Ninja Turtles could poke out of That's the true. Yeah. Yeah. Taxi Driver you know, and be like, yeah, there they are. It's just a full circle. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the, on one end of the spectrum, it meets the other end of the spectrum there. <laughs> well, but in this movie, they kind of set you up as it's like a pleasant kind of New York. Yeah. I mean, it's like real people like blue collar kind of stuff, but it's not trying to be like, it's not like aggressive or scary in any way. Yeah. It's just kind of people hanging out, doing yeah. their job. One of the themes of the movie is like, this is just life. And it's cool. The, the coolest thing is how it comes out of this because it's not just a bunch of like, oh, stock footage kind of, you know, little things that moments they picked up. Mm -hmm. it, it sort of bridges the gap with the final shot of the sequence where a steamroller is just going down the street. Yeah. And then they cut in and behind that steamroller was Al Pacino and, you know, John Cazale and stuff like all in in this car so they kind of like mask that shot as a found shot yeah. too which i thought mm -hmm. was really interesting and it sort of blend the music suddenly becomes diegetic it's coming yeah. from the car radio well, when you they can't turn the hear car off. anything else that's the crazy part awesome. of that scene is like they're talking you can't hear them but you hear everything they're doing you hear the foley and stuff oh, you're yeah. almost like is something wrong that's interesting <laughs> yeah I love the sound of 70s movies. Like whatever oh, yeah. microphones they were using and the way they used to be mixed has like a crunchy, almost distorted sound to it that is mm -hmm. so warm and comforting to me. Yeah, it's got a definite stamp. Just like late uh, 90s, early 2000s movies yeah. all have that like grumbly, you know, uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. breathy, everyone's whispering mm -hmm. kind of thing. It's like in, in the 70s, you know, they were kind of yelling into tinny microphones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bring it back. <laughs> well, the Safties do yeah. that. They, they, they like go like and go, research microphones yeah. and find like old ones. That's a fun. More project. people should do that. It, you know, it's just when you're making a movie, you got a million things to think about, and it's not on the top of, of everybody's list. Yeah, I think because one of them runs sound. They're like, yeah. Well, you can think about, uh, you know, what type of camera you want to shoot on. I got my mic. I'm going yeah. hard on you know, sound. Like, I, I got it too. Hey, I love it. One thing Corey pointed out when we were watching it was there's a shot in this little montage of a theater marquee and a set of Stars Born. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, which. It came out after. So this, this was movie? I, I watching it a second time. I was like, "When did Starsborn come out? Which which Starsborn is that?" Oh basically? yeah, that's right. Because there's multiple ones. Yeah. Is that the Barbara Streisand one? Probably because that's the one that came out in the 70s. I looked it up. Two things popped out to me. One, the writer of this movie, Frank Pearson, wrote that version of the Starsborn. Oh. Yeah. So I was like, "Oh, that must be it." It's like a little nod to him. But then I saw that that movie actually didn't come out until 1976. Mm -hmm. This movie came out in 1975. They're probably shooting in so 74. He saw the movie and he was like, you know what? I should remake A Star is Born. <laughs> so here's, uh -huh. it gets maybe a little crazier here. <laughs> Look closer on that marquee and above it, the movie above A Star is Born is called Big Thing. I've never heard of this movie. Now you look up the movie Big Thing. It's a movie that came out in 1972, which is the year that this movie is based. This whole thing happened in 72. It's a porno movie. There's also a porno movie that came out in 1972 called A Star is Born. <laughs> that's a porno theater. It's not yeah, a real movie theater. That's crazy. So they this was actually placed there by production. They're giving us a little like 
Easter egg of that this guy is yeah, yeah, maybe, a seediness yeah. in here. And maybe part of it was like he was like, Hey, I'm getting I'm getting hired to write the new stars born. We should put a little nod in there and they were like, Let's do the porno. <laughs> yeah, we'll do it for you. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Also, too, a thing that I noticed the second time watching it in that shot, Pacino's wife and children are in the shot. Yeah, yeah. But we, we don't haven't know met him yet. We haven't yeah. met him, so we don't know. She's that. like yanking them, yeah. like almost lifting them yeah. up off the ground. I was like, this is all sort. That one shot holds so many fun little details. That yeah, you never even know. there's a lot of richness in in an opening that looks really like banal. Kind yeah. Of. So yeah, and then the movie just kind of throws us right in. We get introduced to Sonny, Sal, and Stevie. They barely even discuss. They just walk into the bank and they're putting through the plan that they've clearly talked about where they're kind of scoping things around stevie sort of expresses that he's getting a bad feeling he's nervous Pacino's like just fucking do, do what you're supposed to do <laughs> and then um there's a cool shot in the sequence that stands out to me because it's like the one dolly shot in the movie there's like a really long and fast dolly move that uh -huh. follows john Cazal down as he's walking to the back and it's really fast and it feels very cinematic and it's cool but it almost feels like outside of the rest of the movie, because the movie has a very sort of documentary feel to me. Like yeah. the mm -hmm. filmmaking is not making itself known in that kind of way. Like the shot compositions and the camera movement all feels very verite. Mm -hmm. But except for this moment, feels very cinematic. And I wonder maybe if this was like a day one thing and then he was like, I actually don't want to ever do that again. Well, he did say that they shot it all in sequence. That it, I mean, separately inside and outside yeah. of the bank, mm -hmm. but uh, inside they would have been shooting in sequence. So probably shot it first day. Like yeah, maybe said. it was yeah. like first day. They're like, all right, let's do a big dolly shot, and then they do it, and they're like, that was cool, but I don't actually want to do that ever again. But it's a cool shot. Yeah, yeah. There's one more out. later that that I remember with Chris Sarandon. Yeah, I was gonna say there's yeah. like a very slow push in. Yeah, but on it's him not when the same. It's kind of like a hidden hidden. Yeah, style. you it goes by a little like smoother. This one yeah. really jars a little bit. Oh yeah, yeah. I also read somewhere too that he had some of the camera operators on roller skates so that they could smoothly, when people, were, the actors were moving around, they could follow them without it being too shaky. Wow. So he hired like professional roller skaters to be camera operators <laughs> so that they could just follow the actors. You know, this is pre um, Steadicam days. Uh -huh. They didn't actually yeah. have Steadicam invented at this point. Yeah. In time. And some of the footage looks rough. You know, yeah. like even mm -hmm. in the opening, you know, the stolen shots, they're like kind of wonky mm -hmm. and stuff. They, Gives to the documentary feel for mm -hmm. sure. Are you a roller skate guy or a roller blade guy? I was uh, a roller blade guy because yeah, of too. Mighty Ducks 2. I was oh, roller blade because yeah. of Brink, the oh, Disney wow. Channel Brink original. Later, but I connected to it because I was already on the roller Got blade it, yeah, yeah. train. But uh, yeah, and then and then turned into skateboarding at some point And I was like, yeah, yeah I never roller bladed. <laughs> Give me a break. I was a roller skates guy. Because uh -huh. of uh, Boogie Nights, Roller Girl. No, I, <laughs> I learned on rollerblades. And then the first time I went to the skating rink, mm -hmm. they only had roller skates. And I fell in love with them. I was like, these are smooth. They feel good. They don't have that like <clears throat> sound yeah. that the rollerblades do. From then on, I was a skate guy. You don't have to work as hard. Yeah, no. You, know, you can just cruise and mm -hmm. like sway back and forth and you're moving. Yeah. I don't do it much anymore. Oh no, I can't even. Everybody remember. got really into it during the pandemic. Roller skating. skating. Oh. Yeah, that became like really big again. I mean, it's probably a great workout. Yeah, for sure. Good it scares for your lower me body. though. It, it, like now I'm like, oh, I probably just fall and break something. Yeah. 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 It's it's one of those things like the older you get, the less worth it it becomes. Exactly. Yeah. Well, my dream is to like 
be a skateboarder. Like I'm mm-hmm. so sad that I don't know how to skateboard. Yeah, but I'm it's I'm far too past it. I, I would say don't start now <laughs> because while everyone was getting into roller skating during the pandemic, I was like, you know what? I'm stuck here. I'm gonna start skateboarding again. I haven't done it in years, and I had a good week of just cruising around. And then I hit a pebble in the middle of the street and (laughs) ate it so hard. And there's something about it where maybe I don't remember or maybe it was just like I was younger. But like I fell like a ton of bricks. Like it just was like like there's no bounce to it. It was just pure impact. I'm like, yeah, I can't do that ever again. No. I mean, I know I can't because like what? I mean, probably like seven years ago at this point or whatever. It was right when those like electronic skateboards oh, had yeah, come out yeah. like the hoverboards the hoverboards and the first time i ever got on it was when jack was working at funny or die he was like oh come up here and i got on it rode it for i don't know one minute <laughs> fell was started going so fast Lost towards complete stairs oh and i was God. like i just have to jump off it i just have to jump off it jumped off of it but with only one foot, the other foot's still on it. So it's still going full blast, spins me in a circle, runs <laughs> over my foot, breaks my entire foot. Across have, her entire foot, bro. Oh I have to go God. to the emergency room. And literally, I broke all of the bones on the top of my foot. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. And this was also when I was like on Snapchat and stuff. And I had <laughs> so many of like my friends were like, what the fuck happened to you? Because I like was Snapchatting being on it. And then the next Snapchat was me in the emergency room. And I was like, never ever doing this so i can't skateboard yeah yeah i'll stay away yeah nobody move get over there okay all right get away from those alarms i'm getting the center he moves take his head off put the gun on him get out of the center sonny i can't do it sonny what i i'm not gonna make it sonny what are you talking about? Put it on it. I can't do it, Sonny. Oh, fuck me. Sal. Sal. What? Where are you? You can't make it. Fuck him. Let him go. Come on, Sonny. All right, let him out. Let him out. Do what the gentleman says, Howard. All right, let him out. Let him out. This scene is so funny to me when he starts to do the hold up. Because when the Stevie's like, Stevie, yeah. I gotta go. He's like, no, Sal's already started. Like we have to, <laughs> yeah. we, we can't stop now. And then when Al Pacino tries to get his gun out of the box, and he gets caught. It's so funny because it's all automatically. You're like, oh no, this is gonna go so bad. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can't get the gun out. And the this, women are just kind of like looking at him, like, what? <laughs> this all is really funny stuff. Like, and th- like immediately, Stevie is like, I can't do it, Sal. And he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, I can't. And so he lets him go, but there's this awkward exchange where he's like, Stevie, the keys. You gotta give me the car keys. <laughs> am I going to get home? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then there's a really funny moment where he like gets a can of spray paint and he starts trying to spray the security cameras, but you know, Al Pacino is one of our famous short Kings. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So like he can't reach them and they like, he has to pull chairs up to he's hopping up and stuff. It is really funny. His physicality too, the way he like is walking around when he's thinking. And I'm just like, is this obviously the director is a big part of it as well. But like, how much freedom does he have when he's like coming on to set and like yeah. moving around with his blocking all of these things? Cause it just feels so specific every time. And like, I think, I, don't know. I think there was a lot of freedom for the actors. Uh-huh. Like the, the, uh, in the commentary, they say that um, before shooting, they, 
rehearsed for like a month basically with the writer there because they didn't want to change it too much or anything, mm-hmm. but they would rehearse and ad lib and do whatever and, and improv. And then the writer would sort of take the the parts that stuck and work it in organically oh, yeah. and stuff like that. And I'm sure once they got into the actual location, it was sort of like, you know, feel what's natural, what's happening. Yeah. Take those moments because those are the best bits. You yeah. Know? It seemed like that kind of attitude. You also mentioned on the commentary that Pacino was still fairly early in his film career and he's a stage actor. You know, if he had to do a sad scene that day, he came to set sad and he lived sad the mm. entire day. And if he was doing an angry scene, he would be angry that day because he just kind of lived whatever he had to do for the whole day. He's like, I don't know if he works that way anymore, but at this point in time, that's the way he definitely I don't think he works that way. <laughs> <laughs> but at the time, I mean, he had a lot of fire in him and yeah. you can see it in, in all of his performances. Before he pulls the gun out, he does slip the teller a little note. We never see what the note is. It's never mentioned. But in, I guess it wasn't in the documentary. Yeah. They said that leading up to the day of, they all went and saw the Godfather to juice themselves up, <laughs> which is so funny. That's an Al Pacino movie. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then decided to write on the note. Uh, this is an offer you can't refuse. This is a holdup or whatever. That's so funny that that's what it was like. And I wonder if they considered including that in the movie and were like, ah, it's going to be too much. That's too yeah. meta Pacino to have Pacino. Yeah. He's like, no. He probably lost his mind though being like, Pacino's going to play oh, me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was a funny thing in the documentary too, where it's like he had all these issues with the movie because they changed so much and they made certain people look stupid and they made, you know what I mean? Like in his opinion. Mm-hmm. And so he, I think attempted to sue them for a handful of things too. But then when the movie came out, <laughs> he uh, was like told the prison they have to show the movie at the prison simply because he told so many, he <laughs> boasted about it. There's a movie getting made about me. And uh, like a lot of people, I guess, didn't believe him. So he was like, you have to screen the movie at the prison. So like, to prove to all these people <laughs> that this movie. <laughs> oh God. Uh, he gathers all the women and the bake manager. It's mostly women. We got a few interesting performances here from an early uh, young Carol Kane. I know. Yeah, kind of underfeatured in the, in the movie, but she's, yeah, but I guess all, she was, all, just wasn't that big at this this specific point in yeah. time. Um, but she would later go on to do Taxi, and we actually talked about her in The Princess Bride. Yeah. Uh, Penny Allen is sort of like the motherly bank teller. She's, I love her. She's so, so much. fucking good in this movie. Yeah. And interesting, I didn't know this about her. She actually took in Al Pacino when he was a teenager when he. He was like a young actor. What? He lived with her and her husband for years until like his mid twenties. Wow. Uh, and he's the one who got her on. It sounds like Pacino pulled a lot of the cast because well, he he got John Cazale. He got John Cazale. Yeah. yeah, he pulled in a lot of these people. They were all from like his theater companies that he is very devoted to. I love that. That's cool. Yeah, it's really sweet. And she's amazing. She has so many great moments in this movie. She immediately sort of like asserts her power over him. Mm-hmm. She kind of is the one who like fires back at him is like, Hey, watch your mouth around these ladies. Yeah. He starts calling her mouth throughout the movie. It like <laughs> becomes his like nickname for her. Yeah. All of the minor characters have really interesting dynamics mm-hmm. between Pacino's character that, yeah. that evolve throughout the film in a cool way. Yeah. Carol Kane has like the thing with her husband where like oh, at yeah, one point right? the phone rings and it's like her husband and he's like, tell her you're in a bank robbery. And she tells him and she's like, he wants to know what time you'll be done. <laughs> he wants her to come home and make, <laughs> make him, him dinner. dinner. It's, it's depressing. Like, Jesus. Yeah. 
That's a sign of the times. Uh-huh. Do y'all ever get nervous when you're in banks because of so many like bank heists? I'm never in banks. I know. Anymore. I haven't been I haven't in a bank in, in so long. Yeah. I occasionally will have to go to a bank to like deposit a check or something. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, I do. Jack I will. refuses to do online uploading of checks. Yeah. He like oh, doesn't yeah. believe it well, will work. <laughs> It just feels like it's it's ripe for a problem to happen. And then I'm like, then I'm maybe if something if I take a picture of a check and send it in and they don't get it and don't receive it, I just imagine the scenario where then I go to the bank and they're like, You've already this check's been This just sounds like such an old man. It's like a thing. twilight zone. <laughs> I just have such little faith in like technology anymore. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I will say when I go into banks, I there is always a little part of me that's like Checking out every person that walks through the door to see, to I just see if they're going to hold the place up. But bank yeah. robberies, are they even a thing anymore? Like that was the first thing. Not I Like really. my first note was like, can you even rob a bank anymore? I think it's easier to rob somebody online exactly. by hacking. Yeah. 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 Path of least resistance. Like I yes. feel like crime in a lot of ways is harder. These days. Well, it's all With moved on. Thanks. Probably. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah there's yeah. probably less cash on hand. For too, sure. Right. And, and stuff. Yeah. I, it's definitely. I, a fear I've never had is that a bank robbery was going to happen while I was in a bank. Yeah, me hmm. neither. Different it seems just so hard. <laughs> My fear is just that I'm going to get stuck in line. <laughs> like, I don't want to be here I don't want to do this. Minutes. Weirdly, though, as a kid, I would kind of hope that that kind of thing would happen on field trips. Uh, just so you could have the day off of school. Well, no, because we're already on the field trip. We got the day <laughs> off. It was mostly because I was like, I would come up with these really elaborate scenarios in my brain of like, if we were to get hijacked right now, mm-hmm. I think I'd be able to like figure it out. And then all the girls that I have crushes on would know that I'm cool. Uh, hero fantasies. <laughs> yes, yeah, I would have hero fantasies. Yeah. Or like, uh, you know, uh, getting stranded on a desert island uh-huh. kind of was a dream a little bit because I was like, I would be really resourceful. <laughs> I would take charge, and then they would see how fucking cool I am. I, I would think about getting attacked by ninjas. Okay. That was my fear. It was in my own home. Oh, it was a fear. This it, was a well, fear. You kind of, well, like that sort of thing of like, I need to be mentally prepared for this. Yeah. And I don't know why, because like, I guess I, there, ninjas were present in media, yeah. uh, you know, often when <laughs> we were Three ninjas kids. was one of my favorite. Yeah. Ninja turtles, like mm-hmm. everything was kind of ninjas. So I, I guess I had this idea that like ninjas could come in yeah. at any point in time. Like as soon as I'm about to go to sleep, ninjas burst through the window. Yeah. So I had a little box with um, paper ninja stars that I made. Nice. I'm like, this is going to save me. I, I didn't <laughs> have a fantasy of them. saving anyone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I mean, honestly, dude, they could. <laughs> at any point in time, ninjas could come in here and kill us all. I'm just thankful they don't. Don't get in a ninja's way. No, yeah, never, no. Never. It's like a snake. You don't bother them. They won't bother. <laughs> so yeah, he's very confident. He seems to know what he's doing. He he implies that he's worked at a bank before. But what we come to realize is that the whole thing is a fucking wash. Because when they do finally, <laughs> when they finally get into the vault, there's literally like eleven hundred dollars in the vault. And he's like, "What?" And he got his times mixed up. Somebody gave him bad information. Yeah. He thought the truck was coming to drop off a bunch of cash, but in fact, the truck had just come and picked up uh. all the cash. <laughs> So the whole thing is this huge fucking disaster. So he decides, fuck it. We're going to just take all the money that they have here. 
But before they leave, they decide to kind of shuffle everybody into the vault. They're going to lock him in, which I guess mm-hmm. is a smart safety measure, but he takes way too fucking long to do it. He also decides to burn like the record books. Which I'm going like, just take it with you. Yes. What are you doing? And there is a lot. Like Burned you it? were very vocal during the scene, yeah. Corey. You were just like, what are they fucking Get doing? Out. <laughs> Go. Why is he saying? And even Sal is like, Sonny, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, and that's what gets them caught, right? Well, it's well, it's definitely yeah. could be a factor it's because clear. smoke starts yeah. coming out of the vents of the place and like there is a bystander that notices and comes up and there's a kind of a tense moment where they have to send the bank manager to go shoo him off and he's like, yeah, somebody dropped a cigarette butt in the trash can, and we're, but we're fine. But then it's like within moments, yes. like magically, yes. uh-huh. there's like the phone the rings out the window. Yeah, the phone know? rings all of a sudden and they're like, it's for you. <laughs> and he he takes the phone and he's like, we got you by the balls. We're looking at you right now. And there's like a shot and literally like it's like hundreds, hundreds of, of police are all of a sudden outside and he he just drops to the floor. It's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> and they take so much time showing like the hey, army no. of police yes. coming, helicopters. So funny. Uh, and like, even in the documentary, it sounds like that's kind of like they. They yeah. don't know how they don't know what went wrong in terms of what triggered the police. But it must have been immediate because they said it, they were there yeah. within minutes. Like, right. it, was it, like, it is basically what happens in the movie. Like they just all of a sudden they're caught. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, we get to meet Charles Durning, who plays Detective Moretti, who is basically like the negotiator. Another actor that we've talked about on this podcast before, too. He plays Pappy O'Daniel in Oh Brother Art. That, that's what I know oh. him as. Always. Every time I see him, I just think I can't get Pappy O'Daniel yeah. out of yeah. my head. Just, this movie is filled with people we've already talked about in movies. Um, <clears throat> and funny thing that he revealed in the commentary, Charles Durning was actually simultaneously shooting another movie with Robert Wise in Los Angeles while simultaneously shooting this movie. So every like weekend he was having to like commute, fly back and forth and Sidney Lumet and Robert Wise had to like really be in communication with each other being like, okay, I'm going to use him from this day to this day. I promise you he'll be available on Thursday. We'll be done with him on Wednesday. And it all worked out because they were kind of all buds. And I think Charles Durning is fucking great in this movie. He's so natural. It was fun to see all the scenes that they improvised in the movie because those scenes are some of the most memorable ones in the movie. I was laughing my ass off at him too, just because he's so natural and funny and the way he retorts to Al Pacino when they're negotiating feels so real. And to hear that that was like improvised stuff was like, damn, this guy was fucking good. He feels like totally in the moment at all times and, and on dual sides, like, Pacino uh, is trying to figure out how to navigate the situation mm-hmm. moment by moment. And same with Charles Durning. He's over there in the barber shop trying to keep all his guys together, yeah. trying to keep everyone calm, trying to keep Pacino calm, the mm-hmm. crowd. It's like a total chaotic circus that right. he's trying to like <laughs> keep you know, keep under wraps, like, mm-hmm. keep at bay. And there's this moment where on the phone, Al Pacino says, First off, is anybody hurt me? No, nobody's hurt. Well, you keep away from this bank or we're going to start throwing bodies out the front door one at a time. You got that? Listen, don't do that now. Wait a minute. Let me talk to you for a while, huh? How many people you got in there, huh? I can, No, you call me back. Call me back. He goes over to Sal and he's like, you doing okay? And Sal's like, were you serious about what you said? About what? About th- throwing... About throwing those bodies out the door. That's what I want, and you know, that's what I want him to think. Come on, what do you think? Because I'll tell you right now, I'm ready to do it. Wait. Okay. 
I mean, I mean, I know. In this moment, you're suddenly like afraid of John Gazelle, and you yeah, were afraid of I him. I was. You the whole time you were like, Al Pacino needs to get rid of this guy. He's a psychopath. Yeah, but it feels real because it feels like the type of person that would sign on. Like someone's got the crazy yes. idea, kind of this idealist, almost like yeah. naive, going into the situation, and they get someone who is a more serious person mm -hmm. who's got like obvious demons, and they give him an automatic gun. <laughs> <Yeah>. Like, <laughs> okay, know. we're going in there. Those, those are the real stakes of the film, mm -hmm. too. Yeah, you know, there's like all this stuff going on that's bigger. But you know, John Cazal, Sal, he is ready to murder everyone and commit suicide. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and all these things like kind of get wants to. slowly dealt. Well, because it later reveals that both of them have been to prison. Yeah. And John Cazale has a line where he's like, I cannot go back to prison. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like, that's what this is all born out of. Like we, And he even says later on, like, we made a pact. Mm -hmm. If it goes right, it goes right. If it goes wrong, we fucking kill ourselves. And he does not want to like go through with any of the, he's like, we just need to do what we talked about fucking yeah, doing. Yeah, it's going wrong. It's going sour. <laughs> yeah, like this is time. Abort. We're just doing yeah. it. Yeah. I do appreciate that the movie doesn't do the thing that you've seen a million times where you introduce that character and they do. It's like suddenly that character starts shooting people in the head. Yeah. yeah. And like he's actually becomes a way more sympathetic character. Totally. They don't go the route where he becomes a psychopath. Now all of a sudden the movie's like a serial no. killer stalker thing where like easily it could have been like all of a sudden Sal is the bad guy yeah. in the movie. Yeah. That's what I thought it was going to they do. They don't go that direction but they give you enough for you to be like on the edge of your seat about him. He's he's just a really unstable like yeah. traumatized person yeah. who who's like a vet. And, and the real life story is even sadder because the real life Sal was only 19. Oh, oh, that's so crazy. He just convinced this fucking kid Ugh. to like come along with him who was kind of just like a street kid. And there was a Stevie. There was like a third guy that did bail right at the beginning. He ended up getting caught later on. He also served some prison time too, but that guy probably got the best situation yeah. out of the bunch. So a crowd starts to gather outside. Very big crowd. News crews start coming in. I really love the shot of the news crews coming in with like those vintage cameras, like on backpacks and uh -huh. stuff. Those are cool looking Those are cameras. super cool looking. It reminded me of like Ghostbusters proton packs or something. It's like, this is the way you actually had to shoot on the ground on the fly. Did you ever have a, a like the toy Ghostbusters proton pack? I, I knew people that did. I didn't have a lot of Ghostbusters toys. I was a Ninja Turtle toy kind of person. I was definitely a Ninja Turtle toy kind of person. I was a huge Ghostbusters head. Also did not have any of the toys, I didn't even know that this proton pack existed until somebody in my preschool brought it to the preschool <laughs> one day and like everybody kind of got to have like five minutes with it. And no joke, I remember when I put that thing on, my heart started beating fast. <laughs> I was like, this is the coolest fucking thing. It was like a literal dream come true. And I went home and I was like, begged my parents, can you please get me that? And I remember my birthday coming around and not getting it. And my parents were like, we tried. We Because this was years after that toy had been oh, long yeah, off the yeah, shelves, yeah. basically. And they were like, we called every single toy store. They, just, they don't make it anymore. But, like, and it, eBay was not around. There was know? not eBay at this time. They were like, we know that's what you wanted desperately, but we just absolutely could not find it. Oh, God, the things I fucking wanted as a kid. <laughs> Nowadays, kids, can't, you could get a fucking real life looking proton pack probably for a kid at Cosplay Target. style yeah, or yeah. something. Yeah. I remember going to Target a few years ago during Halloween and being like, there's a full blown Ghostbuster suit here that I would have died for as a kid. Mm -hmm. Now we got him. You kids, if there's any kids listening, it's fucking lucky. <laughs> you know what? 
Don't take it for granted. Yeah, don't take it for granted. Uh, the FBI comes in, starts a sort of budding relationship with Charles Durning. This is a kind of a trope, too, that you see. This is what happens in Die Hard. This is what happens in Negotiator, where it's like, there's the police, and then the FBI. The FBI is always kind of the bad guys. Yeah, They're always sort of like- swarmy. And that that's Matthew Broderick's dad. Yeah, that was interesting to learn. James Broderick. Oh, really? Yeah. He plays like the main FBI guy. Yeah, I didn't know that was Matthew Broderick. Oh, I didn't know Matthew Broderick was a Nepo baby. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, they all are. Yeah, they are. <laughs> they really are. He's great. I mean, he's so stone faced uh-huh. and like Perfect. just calm yeah. the entire time. And kind of scary at the end too when he like leans over and whispers like, "We'll take care of Sal." Oh, that's a great moment. So they start negotiating. They basically come up with a system. You know, we'll get you what you want, but every time you got to release a hostage, they do. Let, go ahead and release one, so we know we're acting in good faith. And there's a security guard there, a black security guard who has asthma, who starts to have a really intense asthma attack, and so they're all like. Obviously, we should let him go because he needs hospital treatment, Mm -hmm. but a very pointed moment where they release him and immediately the cops like tackle him, handcuff him, put guns to his head. And they're like screaming out the window like he's a fucking hostage. And then you can also sense that Charles Durning is like disappointed as like you gave us the black security card. (laughs) Again, this movie is like tapping into Mm -hmm. social stuff that like we're still fucking dealing with today. You know, that's Mm -hmm. exactly what would happen today. Absolutely. There's a really interesting scene where like a news broadcaster calls in and starts interviewing Sonny. And right off the bat, he's like, why are you doing this? Why don't you just get a job? And Sonny's like, I've had, I can't get jobs. You know, like I'm not in a union. All these people, like, what do you want me to be a bank teller? Well, that's when he starts getting all the women like kind of on his side. Yeah. That's right. Like we don't get paid shit. Yeah. Like this kind of turns it on them. Like a lot of the scenes kind of work in that way where people are accusing Pacino's characters and then he sort of turns it around with this like kind of self-righteousness, but he's, he's speaking you know, the sentiment of the underclass, you know, and society a little bit like. He he turns it on the newscaster and is like, "What do you? Well, how much are you making right now off of me? You know, yeah. like instead of showing as the world turns or whatever, you know, like like instead you're going to show me robbing a bank. Like, what do I get out of that? Yeah. And then the newscaster's like, "Uh, we're having an interruption." <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly he's not on television anymore. <laughs> so then we get a great moment too, where he comes out. Charles Durning again is like, "Come on, quit while you're ahead. All you got is attempted robbery. Armed robbery. All right, armed then. Yeah. Uh, nobody's been hurt." Release the hostages. Nobody's going to worry over kidnapping charges. The most you're going to get is five years. You get out in one year, huh? Kiss me, man. What? Kiss me. When I'm being fucked, I like to get kissed hey, a come lot. Come on, come yeah. on, come on. You're a city cop, right? Robbing the bank's a federal offense. They got me on kidnapping, armed robbery. They're going to bury me, man. I don't want to talk to somebody who's trying to calm me. Get somebody in charge here. I am in charge I don't want to talk to some And the cops start like closing in. They've all got guns. And he's like, put those fucking guns down. This guy wants to shoot me so bad he can taste it. And the crowd starts like riling up Al Pacino. And he starts going, Attica, 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 Attica. For listeners who don't know, too, Attica was like a prison riot that was like a multiple day situation where they ended up sending in the National Guard and basically just shooting everybody. Yeah. They killed, I think, like 20 prisoners, 20 or 30 prisoners, along with the hostages that they were holding, Mm -hmm. too. And then uh, what? Cindy Lumet. 10 guards, too. Yeah. And Cindy Lumet reveals that when they went in to get the bodies, majority of them had been shot in the back. Ugh. So it became a huge police brutality scandal. Again, it's like all shit we're still having today. But this 
moment apparently was so completely improvised by Al Pacino too. Like he was actually just like getting truly riled up by the crowd. They were in like sync with all the extras, like hundreds of extras. And the extras were all actors too. They were all like New York actors. Yeah. They were like extras. So So they they were just coached them to like, yeah, be in the moment. And he just decided to start saying Attica because that was, I guess, sort of like a thing that was going on at the time. And it, you know, an iconic movie moment was born completely unscripted. And he's like strutting around like Mick Jagger. Oh, yeah. He's like, he's in total rock star (laughs) mode. Yeah. It's like, a handkerchief. Handkerchief, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's so funny. I saw, I mean, when I was probably sixth grade the first time I saw this movie, came out of it not knowing anything about Attica, but being like, Attica, Attica. <laughs> it's just like one of those things. It suddenly like becomes Stella, a part of, you know, that yeah. Sort of or like, you know, you could be a six year old and watch the exorcist and all of a sudden the power of Christ compels you becomes a part of like your vocabulary. Yeah. Yeah. There's a funny moment here too, where Penny Allen is outside and Charles Durning is able to like get her, get his hands on her. And she's like, what's with the fucking hands, dude? And he's like, <laughs> why don't you just let the woman stay outside? And she's like, those are my girls in there. I'm not going anywhere. We also see like the women like playing with his gun inside yes. and oh, stuff yeah. too. He's like teaching them how to other. do like the army stuff Salutes he knows. and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they're getting comfortable back yeah. there. They're kind of like, okay, this is the situation. We're yeah. stuck. And and like Pacino kind of makes it okay in a way. You yeah. Know? He tries to like really make everyone comfortable and like make as much as he can, but yeah. still keep the order. There's even like a guy who keeps creepily calling who every time they answer the phone, he's like, just kill them all. Take your bayonet and stab him. And he keeps hanging up. But then eventually the women start answering the phone and like kind of fucking with the guy too. Yeah. Like it's like sleepover vibes. Yeah. Having yeah. <laughs> a good time. And this is when Pacino starts to get the idea. Like I'm actually kind of got some control in this situation. I think maybe I can get us out of this. And he starts confiding in Sal. Like I want to, I think I can get us a plane and I think we can like go to another country. Uh, the thi- the fact though that like he thinks that that would ever actually work. It's like has in the history of yeah. robberies or something like has that ever actually I d- worked? I like, thought there's the no same way. thing. I'm like th- has it? You know what what is the Probably end goal? Not. Yeah. I don't know, but but I feel like you know he's a character who thinks that through force of will he can make anything happen yeah, kind that's of. True, and yeah. that, that's like his motivation with everything. He's like no matter how bleak it is, like no matter how crazy of an idea it is, like if I just believe it hard enough yeah. and and like keep the upper hand, like I can make it all work yeah. out. And to an extent, he's not wrong because it's the it's his charisma that has like shifted the nation to kind of be on his side in this thing. And like, yes, he's got himself into this fucked up situation. But I think there is enough evidence there with how he has turned the crowd on his side that I can believe that he would be like, I think I can do this. Like maybe I can think my way out of this one. (laughs) But yeah, it's like you start putting the pieces together of like, well, once they make it, once they get on that plane, where do they think the the fly, the guy, they're not going to have people waiting for them wherever they land. Like what is he think? He's not thinking it through. I mean, I think, I think, you know, deep down, he probably knows that it's a no win situation, but it's, he's just got to keep going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's a really funny moment here too, where he's, he asks Sal like, We'll we'll go to another country. Like, what other country would you want to go to? And he's like a long pause. He goes, Wyoming. <laughs> he's like, that's not a country, Sal. He says it with like such understanding. <laughs> yes. too, that's the best part of it is that he's really like kind of like, oh no, like you don't uh, even yeah, know. Dude. <laughs> <It's-> <laughs> 
<laughs> and later on too, he's talking to somebody. He's like, I'm over here talking to Sally. He thinks Wyoming's a fucking country. <laughs> and that was an improvised line. That yeah. He wasn't supposed to say anything. Yeah. Oh, really? And, and all the oh. other takes, he didn't say anything. And then, and then he just says Wyoming. And Sidney Lumet was like cracking up at yeah. it. And somehow they kept it together. Like, I don't know how... Like uh, as him saying that so unexpected, yeah. how Pacino was able to keep a straight face and yeah. answer like honestly, uh, yeah, because it's so funny and it's so, so sincere, good. and it's a, you know it's like a testament to this movie won best screenplay, and I think plenty of credit goes to Frank Pearson, but it's interesting that so many of the iconic things that people remember remember about the movie are the sort of improvised, yeah, off the cuff stuff. He's like, I'm going to start making demands. He tells Moretti what he wants to do. Moretti's like, uh, let me see what I can do. And then he throws in, I want you to bring my wife to talk to me. And this is kind of when we get the reveal that not only does Al Pacino have a female wife and kids, but he also has a male wife who is in a hospital. He's in like an institution. They, they kind of introduce it in an interesting way, though, because they first they introduce Pacino's female wife. Yeah. Yes. And um and then she says that they're like we got to take you down to wherever like it, it they they imply that she's going to go down mm-hmm. there. Yeah. But then they do so it's like a misdirect and, mm-hmm. and then um and then the Leon car pulls up, up and you think she's going to step out and all of a sudden this guy steps out in a robe. And yeah, he's got a male wife named Leon played by Chris Sarandon. We also talked about Chris Sarandon in The Princess Bride. He's the main bad guy. That oh, is right. oh my god. That is what I, I like went through his IMDb. I must have like skipped over Princess yeah. Bride because I was like, how like I know I've just seen him and it is. He is the bad yeah. guy in Princess Bride. He is also the voice of Jack Skellington in Nightmare Before Christmas. We've talked about wow. him a lot on the podcast. He's an actor that I wish was in more big films or yeah. you know what I mean? He, he stays working though. Also, I'm so curious about who fucking writes the bios on IMDb because I was like <laughs> looking at them and some of them are like, you know, like Al Pacino, 19, like what, you know, yeah. just is the fact. Yeah. Chris Sarandon's the first line is, the handsome, weird, and worldly-looking Chris Sarandon has shown his versatility in <laughs> weird and worldly from vampires to Jesus Christ and hypnotic performances that have been very controversial, but irresistible. Hey. I was like, who's writing this? <laughs> I wouldn't say he's weird-looking at no, all. No, he's so handsome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that reminds me, he's in Fright Night, right? Yes. He's, yeah, yeah, he's yeah, the yeah. main bad guy in Fright yeah. Night, yeah. And it's a great performance by Chris Sarandon, especially when you consider that this is the 1970s. Yeah. It's a very enlightened, it's nothing. I mean, like, there's a degree of theatricality to it a little bit, but it feels pretty authentic it and is not close offensive. to the person. You, you, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. if there was no source material, I might say that, but seeing them back to back, I'm going, like, he's not really doing anything that you know the the actual person it's based on wasn't yeah you know didn't have an affectation mm-hmm. or something like that you know he he didn't seem like he was putting too much more onto it yeah but he was you know trying to play it with some truth mm-hmm. and, and stuff so you know as as close as a a straight actor could get you yeah. know i feel like he's trying and, yeah. and for the time it it's uh feels like an earnest attempt Absolutely. yeah it felt very earnest and like the word i keep coming back to is like delicate like he mm-hmm. felt very delicate mm-hmm. in this role yeah and he's supposed to be like on drugs yeah and they like because the the institution has been yeah you know loading him up with something so he's like fainting and yeah. stuff mm-hmm. you know when they first like, was he him. at the institution cuckoo's nest was that oh, I mean, oh it's, it's a whole universe you're finding in the universe here you know <laughs> one flew over the dog pound baby um <laughs> 
That's the porno version. Yeah, that's the porno version. <laughs> that is the porno version. The tone shifts with the crowd when they find out he's gay. And it suddenly starts to kind of feel divided mm-hmm. where there's like one side of the crowd is like people who are like the gay community who are sort of like cheering him on. And then you have another side of the crowd that kind of feels like they're mocking him all of a sudden and they're going like, ooh, and they're saying all this stuff every time he touches somebody. And so then we get two big phone call scenes where Pacino first calls Chris Sarandon. I don't know, Leon, you know, I'm dying here. I'm dying. You are dying. Uh, uh, do you know that you say that to me every day of your life? Oh. I'm dying. Well, you're not dying. You're killing the people around you is what you're doing. Oh, come on. Leon, don't give me that shit. You know, I don't need that deep shit now. Well, I don't think you, you realize what it means, Sonny. You know, the things you do? Yeah. I know what I do. Um, you, you, you stick a gun to somebody's head. Yeah, well, I don't know what I'm doing, yeah, so I'm yeah, fine with that. Yeah, well, ob- obviously you don't. Go to sleep, Leon, so it won't hurt when I pull the trigger. For, for, why, what do you think I've been doing in the hospital? I mean, uh, I, I, I take a handful of pills to get away from you, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and then now I'm talking to you on the phone again, right? I'm, I, I'm, I got no job. I don't have friends. I can't live. I, I have to live with people. You know the pressures I've been having, right? I mean, I got all these pressures, and you know about it. You're in that hospital there with all them tubes coming out, and you want that fucking operation, right? You're giving me that shit. Everybody's giving me shit. Everybody needs money. You know what I mean? So... You needed money, I got your money. That's it. Yeah. Well, I didn't ask you to go and rob a bank. And in actuality, this movie actually did pay for that gender reassignment surgery. Yeah, like, there's a lot of interviews with the real person post-surgery where they're on like Sally Jesse Raphael and all these mm-hmm. different kinds of shows. And there's definitely like conflicted feelings in them because they did get what they wanted. But you could see that there's this weird sense of like, now I owe him this Ugh, even yeah, though i don't agree with what he yeah. did yeah i didn't ask for them to do this but now he's gonna hang this over me and he does like there's all these things where it's like he does kind of he's like yeah yeah he was like basically a crazy stalker boyfriend yeah it ga- it did it gave it gave like stalker vibes that this movie does not necessarily paint you know well, it puts it in there but it doesn't judge it you know yeah, what and i mean lumet kind of talked about that in the commentary too that like he Chose to tone a few aspects down because his ultimate goal was to be like, we're all humans and we're all, we all go through these problems. And he kind of wanted everybody to truly be able to sympathize. Yeah. The funny thing about that though, is like in the commentary, Sidney Lumet basically says that, but he says it in a way that's a little iffy. He's like, my goal with this movie was to show that the freaks are not so different than us. Yeah. And I'm just going like, stop saying that. Stop talking. It. Like, just, come on. Like, I know the intention is good, but yeah. like, please. It's such like a dad type thing. Oh, to, like, yeah, say. exactly. Like, oh. Well, and it's interesting. The place where he drew the line on some of that stuff was showing uh an actual actual footage of their gay wedding mm-hmm. you know he he thought it would be too much yeah it sounds like she was maybe, in a dress and all the bridesmaids were yeah. men in dresses and for, i guess for the time you know it's even even though it's been legalized and and widely accepted there's still people today you know that are you know, yeah. Oh, totally. totally against it. You, and you so can understand time, why he would been. be afraid that people would start laughing in the theater and make fun of it, yeah. especially in the time. But even today, people probably would. I mean, I know, like we're not that far from that. It it just feels sad that that's the you know like I I heard that in the commentary and I'm like I kind of judge him for it yeah. in a way because he's saying like no one would ever accept this. Thing. I'd lose everybody. Yeah. yeah, but which I 
I don't know, you know, I didn't live at that time, so I don't really, really know, but it, it's just sort of a bummer that that would be so, you know, way so heavy. Yeah. And, yeah. Like, terrifying to people. And then he hangs up and immediately calls his female wife and has a very similar conversation about that, which has also got some pretty sad stuff in it too, where she's like, did I drive you to this? I know I've gained a bunch of weight. And he's like, it's not about your weight. You're <sighs> not fat. Stop calling yourself fat. It's almost the opposite. It's like, you know, Chris Sarandon is blaming Pacino's yeah. character yeah. and then it totally flips. And, and now, um, you know, his, his other wife's like taking it mm -hmm. on herself. And he starts screaming at her. And then yeah. you really start to feel like he's balancing people's lives and he's just overwhelmed and freaked out. It's got to be a horrible way to live. Yeah. With like so many people that you're kind of trying to juggle and depending on you. I mean, it's of his own making, but I, I would not want to have secret families and things yeah. like that personally. And an interesting thing he revealed in the commentary is that they shot those two phone calls back to back. Like the shots of Pacino don't change. It's the same shot for both conversations. It's probably like 15 minutes worth of scenes. And at the end of the day, because they wanted him extra tired. Yeah. Oh. To exhaust him. And what was interesting. That reads. And that they made him do reads. it twice. Yeah. In a row. And what you're seeing is the second take. Yeah. Oh, when he was like the most like, like, uh, uh, Cindy Lumet was like, uh, can we do it one more time? And Pacino did not want to. And he's like, we're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> and there's like a specific Gosh, moment shit. where he left in the shot when he told Pacino, we're going to do it again. Pacino does like a, and he has that moment in the movie. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, but what was interesting to hear too, is that he was talking about because these scenes were going back to back and they were so long. They didn't have film cameras, couldn't hold that much film in the canisters. They only have like eight minutes. Yeah, you get like eight minutes per film reel. And so what they did was they had two cameras running or they had two cameras sitting side by side. They would run one until it was about to be empty and then they would start the other one to pick it up. But then they would have to change the film canister on that first camera in order to pick up the next part of it. Mm. But they didn't want to distract Pacino. So in order to not distract him, they built like this black curtain and they cut two holes in it for the camera lenses to go so that while he's doing the scene, they could change the mags on the camera and he wouldn't be able to see them do it and distract him, you know, all this sort of rigmarole just so that they could get all this in one take, which is a thing, a problem that nobody would ever have in the day of digital because mm -hmm. you can shoot endlessly. Uh, but interesting things that you don't think about shooting on film. I was like, oh, this is interesting yeah, oh, little shit. things you had to worry about. Mm -hmm. And it just adds so much more stakes and tension to the scene, too. It's like everybody, the cameraman's got to like move quietly. Don't make too much noise. Yeah. stuff. It's pretty great. They end up shutting off the lights and the air conditioning. The lights are off and it's kind of lit practically. Like the the whole rest of the movie mm -hmm. is lit by like these spotlights and emergency lights. Yeah. So it gives it a really grimy vibe, like a very raw, unfinished feel. Yeah. But it looks better than every movie that comes out <laughs> <Yeah>. today. <laughs> yeah, it does look awesome. The movie gets really sweaty. So one of the sweatiest movies <laughs> yeah. I've ever seen. And that was a fun reveal too. He does his own, Sidney Lumet does his own sweat. Doesn't trust anyone else to do the sweat. He's so very he's like, particular. I learned how to do it. And you know, I, I, I keep track of how sweaty people are. It never wow. looks right when, uh, when the makeup people do it. Yeah. I was like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, I get it. There's been a million times on set where I've been like, they're not sweaty enough. And then yeah. now they're too sweaty. Like as a filmmaker, you do get like weirdly particular and it's just like, just sure. give me the bottle. I'll, I'll, I'll figure out the way to do it. Yeah. Here. Recently I, I was shooting something and they, they promised there was going to be sweat on the actor. And mm -hmm. then in the, in the motion of everything, like, you know, we had to 
get the shot off and all that stuff. Yeah. And we were shooting. And, and after we're done, I realized like they never, they never sprayed them. You know, uh, like what? Are, what are we gonna do? And it's you too went up late to now. them and you said you broke your promise. <laughs> yeah, but they, but beforehand they were like, "Don't worry, don't worry, we, yeah, we got it, we got it." You, we talked about it, we talked about it. And I'm yeah. like, okay, okay, okay. And then I'm thinking about it a lot, and then yeah, no sweat. Oh. So from here on out, I am doing you my do sweat. Yeah, you gotta do yeah. it. Sweat. It's your personality. It's like that's <laughs> yeah. a piece. I do my own. I sweat. got the spray bottle <laughs> on my belt. I'm ready to go. <laughs> Another cool thing he revealed too is that it's it you know. Dog day afternoon implies it's a fucking hot ass day. Mm -hmm. But in reality, they were shooting in like the fall and it was actually quite cold. Mm -hmm. And in certain scenes, it was cold enough where you could actually see their breath on camera. And so in order to combat that, they had the actors put ice cubes in their mouth mm. right before the takes to, to hold their mouths up so that the hot air wouldn't be hot. Miserable. I've never yeah, even heard of that awful. technique before. I was like, what a cool, I mean, yes, so, sucks. So <laughs> get in your uh, unbuttoned shirt. Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. Like we're going to spray you with water. I know you're freezing <laughs> cold, but fill your cubes. mouth with ice. <laughs> but also it's like, that's cool movie magic too. It's like, that's a fun little trick. It's science, really. Yeah, it is a science. I never would have thought of that. No, no. Great title too. Yeah. It's an amazing, you know, like it. Uh, it's super memorable. It was originally titled The Boys in the Bank. Bad, terrible. No, bad. terrible. It's like The Boys in Brazil. Right? Well, I, th I think it's a reference to The Boys in the Band, which is about gay culture. I think it's because oh. they're gay that they we're going to title it that. Well, Dog Day. You know, Such a great memorable. Sticks in your mind. Yeah. It's, it's part of the dog cinematic universe with Reservoir Dogs. Uh, dog the Bounty Hunter. Old dogs. Old, old dogs. <laughs> Which Alpha if you dog. haven't seen, uh, maybe watch it. Okay. <laughs> it's If you want something really bad and really goofy of that time period, it's- uh -huh. uh, You're John talking Travolta about the, the time period of the year 2008? And yeah. Tim Allen, right? Oh, that's- Wait, is it- It's- There's old John, dogs and wild hogs. Yeah, you're oh, thinking I of think wild, wild hogs. hogs. <laughs> so wild hogs is more of a actual movie- Old oh. dogs is like really going hard with the comedy and they're it's all old people humor. So they're switching their pills uh -huh. and then uh -huh. having to go to funerals, Classic. cackling and with like weird CGI droopy faces. Ooh. It's out there. <laughs> if you like the weird ones. Oh. <laughs> is it on Plex? I'll check it out if it's uh, on the Plex. I'm, I'll put it up on there. I'll find it. <laughs> Um, yeah, we get a nice scene where Sonny's mom comes and tries to talk him out. That she's like, stress me out. I was like, get this lady out of here. She's like, just run. Just run. He's like, mom, get out of here. This is Judith Molina. She was the founder of the Living Theater, which is where uh, Pacino started his theatrical career. Fittingly, let's cast my teacher to be uh, my mom. I mm -hmm. love it. It's beautiful. And another interesting thing, Judith Molina is the granny in Adam's Family, in the first Adam's Family, she plays Granny. Ah, I didn't know that. In Adam's Family Values, Granny is played by Carol Kane. Wow. So this movie has both the grannies. Wow. Got the connection. Yeah. Pretty cool. That's pretty pretty cool. cool. You never guess how Adam's Family and Adam's Family Values connects to Dog Day Afternoon. That's the BuzzFeed headline. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, we get kind of our final stretch where this, this like, stretch limousine car you kind of get a little bit of hope of like is this gonna work out well there's the the moment that i, I think is is before this where um you know the fbi oh yeah guy, the fbi guy he has to come through and do like a walkthrough yeah he he takes he takes over for charles durning and then he basically has a moment with uh al pacino where he says 
don't worry about Sal. We'll take care of Sal. Ugh. But at that point, you know, I feel like as an audience, and yeah. Al Pacino knows, like, it's not going to end well. Yeah. Like, this is not, They're you damned. know, there's, this is a tragedy. Mm-hmm. So they bring up the stretch limo, which to me looks like the Ghostbusters car. It, the Ecto-1. Yeah, yeah, it <laughs> it looks like a really long version. I keep calling it a bus or a limo, and then it pulls up, and you're like, that thing? <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's part of maybe this whole movie is part of the Ghostbusters universe. We've been talking about all these other cinematic universes. This is New York. Yeah, sure. They could have borrowed that from Dan Aykroyd. I believe they all coexist. Yeah. Now, all these <laughs> New York movies. Um, the, I really like the driver who's there. He's, he's this guy named Dick Anthony Williams. He looks cool. He's got a big afro. He's in like this kind of painter's jumpsuit. And he seems like a pretty legit. Dude, but then Al Pacino, there's interesting Sesses back and forth. Yeah, he he they're like um, they point to Lance Henriksen, mm-hmm. who is like not shown himself yet in this movie. He's all of a sudden it's like he's, he's there. like in the background every <laughs> once in a while. Yeah. But then they really introduce him and you're like, oh, that guy looks like a maniac. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, this is the guy who's going to drive you. And he's in a full suit. He's a very, you know, FBI looking guy. And Al Pacino's like, no, I want this guy to drive us. And he has to argue for him for a little bit. They're like, no, 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 no. We, we want Lance Hendrickson to drive you. And he convinces them to let him, the other guy drive him. And then I'm not exactly sure what tips him off. He said, the guy says something like, hey, cops, if you're going to shoot, aim for white meat. And then does he see like I, I think it is unclear like what tips him off but i think it's that the guy just you know immediately jumps in the car i think he's he's like too quick it's like too yeah. easy yeah. he's like playing like hard to get and then he's just like okay okay i'll do it jumps yeah. in, you know? and then all of a sudden pacino's like hey man take a walk he's like huh and he's like get the fuck out of here cop and the guy does like I believe he is a cop because is, of the way he yeah. looks, he's like, oh, yeah. man, you caught me. <laughs> yeah, he's like really frustrated, but yeah. he's like, yeah, he totally turns and drops the act. And so then he's like, let Lance Hendrickson drive. If you're going to, if you're going to fuck us, may as well be this guy, basically. Yeah. And then there's a funny shot. The way they have to come out is they come out in like this big ball. Like they all kind of cluster around Al Pacino. They look like the critters ball to yeah. me. Like uh-huh. when all the critters form into one big ball. You're kind of like, what are they doing? Like it's so organized <laughs> uh-huh. in a way where you're going like, what's going on? Because they don't show them practicing or anything. No, right. They're just yeah. doing it. They just come out in this clump <laughs> of people. And they kind of are giddy. Like they 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 get to the car and then they all rush in as fast as they can. And like, like we the, did it. the girls are kind of like smiling. They're all sort of excited. And yeah, Al Pacino is literally like turned into Sal being like, dude, we fucking did it, dude. Like we're, we're <laughs> scot-free. And Sal's got the gun. He's sitting right behind Lance Hendrickson and he's got this machine gun pointed right at the back of his head. And Lance Hendrickson does this like really creepy turnaround where he's like, hey, Sal, do me a favor. Point that gun up, okay? If we hit a bump, you might blow my head off. And so Sal does it. And you know, this is like the vibes are fucking Ugh. bad. Yeah. And they feels pu- heavy this whole scene. They make their way to the airport, and it's it's interesting too because like the crowds are like throwing shit at the car, and people mm-hmm. are like driving up on side, being like, "Fuck!" It. Like people have turned mm-hmm. a little bit on them. And there's no music in here, but the tension is super high because of all those things. Because you know, like the the tones sort of change. Yeah, yeah. And Lance Hendrickson, there's like a whole sort of rhythm going on with what's happening in the car, and then the chaos outside of the car. So it really like amps things up. And it was so interesting because I guess I just don't think I noticed that there wasn't any music because yeah. the tension is so high that it like even in my memory it feels like I can hear what the music would be. 
the first time I watched it, I didn't notice either. Or like this more yeah. recent viewing until I watched the commentary and he mentioned that. I was like, oh, yeah, wait, there isn't any music That's in this so movie. Wild. From and the it's something song. that I think about a lot when you're watching kind of a bad movie. Mm-hmm. I'll sometimes start to analyze it and be like, what would make this better? And so often it is the score where I'm like, this scene would actually work so much better if they just had no music whatsoever. Yeah. And I think it's the it's the classic idea of like, if, you know, before you leave the house, take one thing off. Mm-hmm. You know, if something's not, if every time we've had to like DP something, more often than not, when something's not looking quite right, you need to turn some lights off. And then all of a sudden, it'll start to reveal us, it'll fix because you overlit it, you know? There's this crutch that people will like lay in music because they think it'll keep people interested. Honestly, I thought it while watching fucking Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. Sitting through Oppenheimer like two hours into that movie, I was starting to have the thoughts of like, I truly think this scene would work better if there wasn't this constant score well, going it, on. It was it. aggressive. Like Oppenheimer, for all its greatness or yeah. whatever, you know, it, it it's relentless. It's the whole thing is yeah. like a montage with music and yeah. like inner cutting scenes and, and the, you know, that's part of the thing that's interesting about it, but it does make it like exhausting. Yeah. You know? Especially if it's a score that's just like not doing anything. Mm-hmm. If it's not that melodic or action, it's just kind of there. You oftentimes don't need it. And this is like a movie that does pop into my mind of like, the perfect example of how no score can be so effective, particularly for tense stuff and for, for yeah. thrilling stuff. I think it can also get in the way of performance, you know, and that that's why a lot of music doesn't work in comedy mm-hmm. too, because, you know, it kind of steps on the rhythms of the performance. Yeah. Yeah. And in this, where it's such a strong, like acting character piece mm-hmm. film, I think that it, it helps just to like, let it all lay. Let it lay. So they make it to the airport. I love the sound design of this because it's just loud airplane engines and everybody's looking around and getting amped up. The cops are sort of surrounding them. And again, the girls are sort of like pumped. They're like, Mm -hmm. this is working. Well, they hand off one of them. They have one last, they they have to do one last trade. It's Maria. And uh, yeah, she has a great moment where she's like, (laughs) I'll pray for you. Sal, because this is your first plane trip. Don't be scared, okay? She hands him like her rosary. She cries. It's a fucking kiss of death. You know when a character's getting handed rosary, (laughs) they're going to be dead in one minute. (laughs) (laughs) And it's beautiful. It is a beautiful little moment. He says, Sal, you ready to go? Lance Hendrickson turns and tells Sal one last time, hey, just remember. We don't want any accidents at this point, right? Keep your gun pointed up. And at the same time, you see Lance Hendrickson open up this little secret compartment in the door, mm-hmm. and there's a pistol in there. You ready to get out first? I'm ready. Shoots John Cazale right square in the middle of the forehead, dead. And it's fast. Yeah, it's, like, so fast. it's like so much buildup and like what's going to happen, yeah. and then all of a sudden it's like over. Boom, in the blink of yeah. an eye. And then the, another guy pops a gun in there and puts it against Al Pacino's head and he's like don't kill me and all the girls run out and Sidney Lillet told a great story I thought on there where um, Penny Allen the the sort of head head teller the mother mm-hmm. sort of figure he was talking to her before the scene and he said okay when the when you know I call action the gun's gonna go off everybody just get out of the car as fast as you can whatever way you can get out of the car get out of the car and Penny Allen was like I would not get out of the car 
I love this guy at this point. Like, I'm so connected with them, I would not leave the car. And Sydney Lumet was like, but you got to leave the car. Like, that's what actually happened. Nobody stayed in the car with them. And she's like, but I wouldn't do it. And they got into a big argument about it. And eventually Sydney Lumet was like, you know, if that's the way she feels, then she's right. And so I got to find another way to get her <laughs> out of the car. So then he went up to the guys playing the police officers and he was like, all right, when I call action, if she doesn't get out of the car, you just have to drag her out of the car. Ooh. And I looked for it and you can't see that happen. I don't no. think that shows up on film, but it was a fun uh, story of like, everybody's just making the characters their own. And yeah. she's like, I don't care what the real person did. Like, I like these guys and I would not leave the car. And it's a director's story where it's like, we only have one night to shoot this. Yeah. Kid, <laughs> and someone doesn't want to get out of the car. <laughs> and I want to respect them, but like, yeah. I need them to do it. <laughs> And, and yeah, the movie's they, like over. Yeah, I love that you get this final like two or three minutes where you're just lingering on Al Pacino's face as everybody, you know, is kind of getting courted by them. You see them cart away John Cazale's body and the camera's just holding on his face as he kind of just processes mm -hmm. everything that happens in this really sad, like you see it all, you know, you just mm -hmm. see all the exhaustion and all of the sadness and like... Also, I think a realization, too, of like, I fucking did all this. And that's kind of like the, you know, he, he got made to be the dog, got made to be this like viral, like, yeah. oh, we love him. But it's like, actually, he was fucked up and oh, like beat oh, his yeah. wives and got this kid put, killed. Put all, yeah. yeah, he got this 19 year old killed. He put all the all these people had to watch this 19 year old get killed, yeah. too. None of that ever seems to really he's he's definitely compartmentalized all that aspect yeah. of it. He's not he's proud. In the documentary, when he's talking in the interviews, he's proud of what he's done. He sees himself as a Robin Hood. And the movie just lets you sit there and watch it while you just listen to these plane engines go yeah. by. And then all of a sudden, the camera just kind of starts to pull back in like this wide shot. And the credits roll. They said they all, we thought about putting some music here, but we were just like, ah, oh, let's just turn up the sound effects. And, and uh, you just watch these credits roll as like plane engine sounds <laughs> continue to <laughs> blast in the fucking soundtrack. And then a hard cut to black. There's not even like a fade out to just like black. Movie's over. The most hilarious comedy of 1975. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's take one last break. And when we come back, we'll give final thoughts on 1975's Dog Day Afternoon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome back to Cinema Possessed, and we are talking final thoughts on Sidney Lumet's 1975 Oscar winning for screenplay, Dog Day Afternoon. And Corey, since you're sitting closest to a dog right now, Damn, we'll start wow. with you. Final thoughts. Um, I had never seen this movie before fully, like I mentioned. And I think what Jordan said at the beginning of going into this movie, thinking of it like as a character piece is the perfect way to watch this movie. Um, as an actor, I found this movie extremely exciting to watch because the performances are so real and authentic. So like that was very exciting for me to watch that. Um, this is Kind of falls in the category of heist movie, which heist thrillers are like maybe my favorite genre of movie. <laughs> um, but it's not the typical, you know, like the negotiators, yeah, something yeah. like that. Um, they don't it, have a montage of getting the crew together. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I love that montage. It simultaneously oh, yeah. set Great. the mold, but yeah. also is this more is like elevated the art than most. house version. Yeah. So this movie is is slower for sure, and like it's. It doesn't have the like payoff of like a heist movie. Like it's it's sad, you know. It's like a true story. It all takes place in one day. So I really enjoyed this movie, but I don't know if like this movie is for everyone type of thing by any means. Sure. Um, but I was really happy to have watched it. I don't know if it's a movie I would go watch again right away. Um. But I had a I had a really good time, and it feels like one of those like classic movies that like I'm like okay now I can say I've watched it type AFI of thing. AFI is 100. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like I see why it has all the accolades. I see why this is regarded as like such a highbrow movie. I really enjoyed it, but I'm not like obsessed with it. Yeah, I got you. That's my final thought. Jordan, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I I love the movie. I think. Um, you know, being uh, not well, I would say forced, but not uh, because I didn't enjoy it, but but forced to watch it a couple more times after watching it recently has has actually made me appreciate it more. Mm-hmm. Kind of doing a deep dive and and learning about the history and stuff like that. Yeah, I think it is probably at this point of my life 
uh, my favorite film performance. Wow. Uh, yeah. Al, Al Pacino in this yeah. movie. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's a shifting thing as time goes sure. on, your tastes yeah. change and things, but Go rewatch Scarface. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got to do all of them now. I just got to speed run the Pacino yeah, yeah. library. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that it is a mature kind of filmmaking that you don't see very often. Like uh, the, the amount of confidence that they have in telling the story which I appreciate it is slower, but like I said, you know, at a certain point I'm locked in, you know, yeah. no matter what, it, it's just, it gets me and I, I care about the characters and I care about the performances even more than the characters kind of just like what the decisions that are being made in real time by the yeah. performers are so interesting to me, but maybe, you know, at this point I'm kind of hyper-focused on that stuff. It's a movie that I'll definitely watch again, probably not sometime soon. But I, I would revisit, you know, if I was thinking about this kind of character piece or even like a action-y heist film, I, I would probably take a look at it again and see like, well, what are they doing to like really make the characters feel real? Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, ha- I had a lot of fun with it. To me, this is like the ultimate 70s movie. Like if you like 70s cinema and you haven't seen Dog Day Afternoon, I think you're going to really like this movie. Because it's kind of got all the hallmarks of a good 70s movie. It's got that grit. It's got that realism. It's got those great performances. It's saying something. It's doing something. It's edgy. And I do agree that this movie gets slow, but it also kind of takes off like a bullet, too, at the same time. Like, I think if you've never seen this movie and you put it on, I have no doubt that it will hook you. You know, I think within the first 10 minutes, you this movie does a really good job of being like, whoa, we're in. And I'm hooked. And yes, as it gets into the third act, it starts to get a little bit more laborious as it did in real life. I think it's trying to it's trying to make you really feel the exhaustion of the characters. And so the movie does slow down quite a bit. But I wouldn't let that deter you if you've never seen the movie and you're like, oh, I don't want to watch something slow. I don't think you'll feel that right away. I think that starts mm-hmm. to, you start to feel that more like an hour or so into the movie, maybe a little bit more. And yeah, I think uh, I think this is an all timer classic. I agree. This is one of Al Pacino's best performances. I love Sidney Lumet. I love this movie. And I think this is a DVD that I've had for such a long time. It has zero special features on it. (laughs) The transfer looked good. I had no issues Uh with it, uh, which is a surprise for how old the DVD is. (sighs) I think I'm going to upgrade. I think I'm going to upgrade. I want this on Blu-ray. I know that there is a 40th anniversary edition that came out in 2015 that has like an hour-long making-of documentary that I wasn't able to watch uh, that has the commentary on there. I think it even has like a John Cazale documentary just about him and mm-hmm. his life. I would love to see that. A number of things on there that I would enjoy, plus just an upgrade in the transfer and the look of it. So I'm going to put this DVD up for adoption, not because I don't love it, because I love it and I want a better version of it. So if you're out there and you've never seen this movie, or maybe you want a copy of this movie that's old but still in great condition and looks good but has zero special features, you can get this on the Patreon if you subscribe. Uh, you can you can get your chance to win this DVD of Al Pacino in Dog Day Afternoon. It's got a great cover on there. Very cool cover. There's a slogan that's really long. It says, the robbery should have taken 10 minutes. Four hours later, the bank was like a circus sideshow. Eight hours later, it was the hottest thing on live TV. 12 hours later, it was all history. And it's all true.
It should just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> the next day, he went to prison. <laughs> um, 40 years later, Jack's watching the TV. <laughs> well, now that we've said everything there is to say about Dog Day Afternoon, what do you say we play? It had to be true. It had to be true. Quiz. Beautiful. That's not the first time I've used. I know. It had to be you. <laughs> Surely is not. And I tried desperately to think of another thing to introduce this quiz. Well, but I mean, it could be used for so many things, you know? Yeah. yeah. It had to be Blue, blue for the yeah. Blues Brothers. Pooh for if we're talking about Winnie like the Pooh. Winnie or... the Pooh or Dumb and Dumber again. Mm-hmm. You know, we might revisit that movie. Um, it's the Had to Be True quiz. Uh, we all know that Dog Day Afternoon is based on a true story, but it ain't the only movie that's been ripped from the headlines. Can you name these other movies that are surprisingly based on true stories? Now, this isn't going to be anything obvious like Ali or Malcolm X. Titanic. Dal- Mal- Titanic. So no name movies. No, I'm not, I'm not doing your average biopics here. Uh-huh. These are movies that you may not even be aware are based on true stories. Okay. So let's see if y'all can guess them. Here we go. Give them my best shot. (laughs) You'll win. So this is not multiple choice. Oh. If you know the answer, I'm going to read the description of the real life event. And if you think you know what the movie is, say your name and then say the movie. Here we go. Question number one. This 2004 film was based on the real life story of Michelle Philpott's a woman who suffered two head injuries, which caused her memory to reset every time she sleeps. Corey, Fifty First Dates. Ding, ding, ding! Oh, I was gonna say Memento. I would have been wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's based Trying on to go a little tr- too highbrow, Jordan. I, I'm, excuse me if I don't assume Sandler movies are based on true events. <laughs> I didn't know that either. But yes, uh, she it, for, her <laughs> husband had life. to had to remind her every morning of their marriage and her accident. That's rough. There's a lot of movies like that. Clean Slate. Mm, I don't know Clean That's Slate. A Dana Carvey movie. It's not <laughs> great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Points on the board for Corey. Hey, good job. Here we go. Question number two. Also from the year 2004, this film was inspired by the real-life story of Miran Karimi Nasseri, an Iranian refugee who was denied entry into the U.S. and spent nearly two decades living in the departure Corey, lounge. Corey, Corey, the terminal. <laughs> Whoa, Corey. Oh, no. Whoa. I haven't seen either of these movies, actually. Fifty First hey. Dates? Come on, you gotta watch. I'm afraid it's gonna be sad. It looks sad. It's not. It's an Adam Sandler movie. <laughs> and I'll go to bat for the terminal. Tom Hanks, Steven Spielberg. How can he go wrong? He's doing an accent. You are. You cannot go to bat for the terminal. Yeah, I'm no, afraid the, terminal's the terminal's not great. But I think you should see it in the same way that you were telling me I should see the beekeeper. Okay, okay. I can see that. I, it seems like a good sort of like sick day movie. Yes. You know, yeah, yeah, I remember watching it. Yeah. I remember watching it not too long ago for our Hanks night that we have with uh, Anthony Gio and Nick Mandernock. Uh, we watched it and I think we all agreed it was a bad movie, but we had a good time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know. I mean, it's hard to say no to Hanks. Yeah. Hanks and Spielberg, you gotta see it. Yeah, I okay. just watched Castaway like randomly. It was on TV, and I was like getting ready mm-hmm. to go out, and it was on. Fully sucked me in. 
and I cried in the Wilson part. I was like, no, this is too much. I can't. Like I mean, when he kicks Wilson out. Uh, oh. Yeah, our parasocial relationship to Wilson, you can't deny that. You certainly can't. We love that guy. He's our friend, too. Did you ever have a Wilson? Because they sold them. No, I've seen them, but I, I didn't own one myself. I'm not big on volleyball. Yeah. <laughs> it hurts my wrists. But uh, yeah, I could see maybe people putting it up on on their mantle or something, yeah. Yeah. thinking about Castaway. I wouldn't want so the the stores always just sold the volleyball with the little handprint on it, and that's all well and good. But I wouldn't really want to display that. To me, I want the version of Wilson towards like the end deflated. when he's like when he's dug a hole in him and he's like stuck the the plant as like hair coming out of it, and he's like all kind of dirty. And uh-huh. that's the Wilson I would want. So I I actually did think about it at the time because I really liked Castaway when it came out, and I thought. Maybe I should do that, but I know I would want to like modify it, and I just was never in the mood. Could make it into a planter. That's oh, a, that's a cool. great idea. All right, well, I'm getting one now because yeah. that's a good <laughs> idea. That's an excuse for us to get another plant that we'll probably let die. Hey, and, that one's. <laughs> but if it's got Wilson's sweet little handprint face on it, we probably won't let it. Yeah, die. you gotta take care of it. Then. That's wow, true. that's a good idea, Jordan. We should actually like a just million sell dollar idea. We yeah. just gotta sell I'm those plants. <laughs> I'm going on Etsy <laughs> with this thing. Gonna blow up. Okay, well, stop coming up with great ideas and okay, start trying okay. to win I the need to focus. I need true to focus. quiz. <laughs> okay, okay, trivia. I'm not. I'm not great, but you know what? I'm in the game. I'm gonna make it happen. You have the chance you to make. Watch a out, Corey. I'm coming. <laughs> <laughs> okay, things might get a little tougher from here. Okay. Question number three. This 1994 rom-com was inspired by the true life story of police officer Robert Cunningham, who on a whim asked a pizza parlor waitress, Phyllis Pinza, <laughs> I know what it is. to help him pick half, I know what it is, half the numbers it's, um, on his winning oh, lotto ticket. Oh my ticket. God, I can tell you who's in it. It's called... It resulted in the two splitting uh, the $3 million reward. Yes, yes. Nicholas Cage it. stars in the movie. Got a name? It's a called it could happen to you ding 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 oh, good, job, good job good job good uh, nice thank goodness my grandfather <laughs> took me to that movie when i was however old because you got come Hunt? back uh it's bridget fonda bridget fonda bridget i fonda. get that one confused with while you were sleeping yes uh, i do too just honestly movie. it's kind of just the name something yeah. about the name feels sort of similar but the concept fairly different because that's about a guy who gets his knocked out and it's more like 50 it's more like 50 first, first dates <laughs> A terrible title. Yeah. It could, <laughs> While you were sleeping? <laughs> both of them. Oh, okay. both of them, yeah. It could happen to you is worse. Actually, yeah, yeah that is the worst bad. of the time. <laughs> okay, but points on the board. Good job. Oh, thank Good you. job. Here Good we job. go. He's coming back, Corey. You got to watch your I back. Know, know. All right. This one might be a race. <laughs> Question number four. This 1984 film was inspired by the real life story of a group of high school seniors in the small town of Elmore City, Oklahoma, who works to overthrow a standing town ordinance from the late 1800s. Corey. <laughs> who was first? <laughs> That's a tough one. Neck and neck. <laughs> uh, since Jordan is our guest, I'm going to uh, l- allow him the fine. first guess. It's a gimme. Footloose. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, Footloose. Okay. It's okay. just there. <laughs> overthrow a standing ordinance from the late 1800s that forbade dancing within the city limits. That True close story. to my heart. Because <laughs> <laughs> you hate dancing. I just love wish that it still montage uh, where he's like, so you know, good. dancing. Teaching. The, teaching the, dance. The, I love the part in Footloose where they dance. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, that's yeah. a good. Wow, hot take. <laughs> I love the part of Footloose where you see feet get loose. Oh, yeah. That's the whole opening credits. Yeah, there's yeah. a little bunch of feet dancing mm-hmm. around. Literal. Literal. <laughs> okay. 
Question number five. You guys are tied. This is really close and kind of tense, if you ask me. <laughs> Competition. <laughs> Question number five. Bearing Jordan in the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> this 2001 thriller is loosely based on the real-life story of Joseph Callinger, an American serial killer who murdered multiple people in 1974 with the aid of his 12-year-old son, Michael, claiming God told them to do it. Corey. Frailty? Ding, ding, ding! Good job. That's what you were going to guess, too? That is what I was going to guess. That is correct. Yes, our boy Bill. I didn't know that was real at all, yeah. It's more like loosely based on it, but yeah. It's still creepy. Terrible. I know who the God's Hand Killer is. That's such a fun movie. We should do that movie on the phone. Yeah, I want to watch that again. Good film. Good film. All right. So Jordan S3. Okay, you've jumped to the lead. Question number six. This 1999 film is based on the true life story of elderly war veteran Alvin Strait, who in 1994 journeyed 240 miles across Iowa and Wisconsin on a riding lawnmower. Jordan, the straight story. Ding, ding, ding. I've never heard of that it's one. Lynch, Lynch's. David Lynch. Oh. Yeah. Family movie. G-rated. G? Yeah. Disney released it's it. It's a very aw shucks kind of movie. Ooh. It's really good. And it's but David it's, Lynch? It's David yeah. Lynch. Wow. He said it's his most experimental movie. <laughs> wow. It's like he lives in opposite land. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it is really good. It's like a pretty emotional oh, yeah. movie and sweet. It is good, yeah. Um, Richard Farnsworth, I believe, is the, the, guy, the name of the actor. It's really good. Okay, final question. So Jordan is in the lead by two. Therefore, this question is worth three points. Ooh. Which means, Corey, if you get it right, you could take the it, could ha- it, it had to be true quiz. <laughs> <laughs> it could happen to you. <laughs> it could happen to you. It had to be true quiz. Okay, final question. Another true tale... About an old male. This 2018 film was inspired by the real-life story of Leo Sharp, a 90-year-old American World War II veteran and horticulturist who was recruited by the Sinola uh, Cartel. Corey, Gran Torino? <clears throat> but you're on the right track. I know. It's the other one. He became but... the world's oldest narcotic oh, smuggler. Jordan, I, don't kn- I haven't seen the movie, but it's called The Mule. Ding, yes. ding, ding! It is the most... <laughs> insane But I think movie. we should share the points because I wouldn't have got it if you didn't okay, say thanks. Gran Torino. Okay, so we're calling this a tie it's game? It's crazy. I need to watch this thing. It's... No. Oh, yeah. Uh, you, I think honestly, you would actually enjoy it. Is it should. Beekeeper Crazy or 50... It's uh, probably Beekeeper, beekeeper Crazy. Oh, okay. it's probably there beekeeper is a scene crazy. at the beginning where he is going to like a horticulture event like to sell his plants uh-huh. or whatever and people are losing their minds like Mobbing screaming him. as if he's like Justin Bieber. <laughs> he's the most famous horticulturist in he the world. He also has a sex scene with two babes. like babes. Models. Model babes, where they get completely naked and like Clint Eastwood like doing this weird sex. It is the an insane movie. They're like okay. you're old and kind of hot. Oh, like no. it's so <laughs> gross so weird so like what the fuck world are we living in but and every now and then it'll that sounds like my kind of it's like the most ridiculous old Clint Eastwood movie and then it'll like cut to Bradley Cooper like on his tail and he's like treating it like the most serious movie in the world so weird yeah I had a great time I thought it was one of the worst movies I've ever seen it is so bad but but in a way in a great time kind of way like I would watch it again that's the thing about Clint Eastwood's movies sometimes he'll make a pretty good one and sometimes he'll make a horrendous one but they're always watchable 
and they're always worth seeing. I'll go see any new Clint Eastwood movie. Richard Jewell. Yeah, that was fun. I loved it. Yeah. I thought it was bad, but I loved yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. And a also time. a good performance from um, Paul Walter Hauser. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really yeah, good Yeah, he's great. Cries eating a donut at the end of that movie, and, he, <laughs> and that's a... That's a hard thing to do because they're so happy. Yeah, yeah donuts are too yeah. good. How can you cry? Great <laughs> point. Well, Jordan, this was so fun having you. Congratulations, by the way, on winning the oh, thank you. It Had to <laughs> thank Be True you. quiz. It had to be true. <laughs> That's your prize. Yeah. It was, it's, I, I, you know, you can't put a price on uh, crooning Jack. Yeah. <laughs> And I love talking Dog Day Afternoon with you today. This was so fun to have you. Anything you want to plug, promote? Before you go, uh, I got a web series that I'm working on that'll hopefully be out in March. That's uh, it's mostly animated with some live action stuff Ooh. called Stilt Skin. So look out Ooh, for that. I like that title. Yeah, it's a Rumpelstiltskin. Style. Oh, nice. Yeah. We'll put it up on the man. Instagram mm-hmm. when it comes out. Oh, awesome. Well, yeah, 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 thank you. For sure. Hell yeah, yeah. excited about that. But nice. yes. Well, sweet, dude. Awesome. Well, appreciate you being yeah, you're here. You're the best. Thanks for giving us so yeah, much of your time. Yeah, this was super fun. And that, my friends, is the show. Follow us on social media at Cinema Possessed Pod, where we announce next week's movie ahead of time. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at cinemapossessedpod at gmail.com. And if you want to get even more possessed, head on over to patreon.com slash cinemapossessedpod and unlock those Cinema Possessed bonus materials. Those are our bi-monthly bonus episodes where we talk about more than just what's in our collection. So if you subscribe to the Patreon, folks, you can get Cinema Possessed every week. You won't have to wait every two weeks to get one of these main feed episodes. You can fill that extra week in with bonus episodes. And guys, it's fun. If you're not subscribed <laughs> to the Patreon bonus materials, you're missing half the fun. You got to subscribe. I, I'm subscribed. I'm doing yeah. Thank you, sir. Get on there. <laughs> Thank you. Listen to Jordan. He knows what he's talking about. And don't forget to rate us, review us. And if you haven't subscribed to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your pods, fucking do it! You know you want to listen to more. You know you want to be updated when new episodes come out. Do it, folks. And as always, keep watching the movies you love and stay possessed. Later, dogs. Bye. See ya. (laughs) 